With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Your box. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com. Click on the Superstore. Go to the distiller. Check the pricing and how to order. And watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
Good afternoon, all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is about uh, eight minutes after noon Pacific time, and it is Thursday, April 7, 2016, out here on the Pacific Time Coast. If that's when it is where you're at, we are live. 800-932-1980. 800-932-1980 is the call-in number. That will get you right on the air. But if you don't want to go on the air, but you still kind of want to participate, you can go to our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. And there you will see a chat link. You click on that, you'll be in the chat room, and boom, you'll be communicating with other people, socializing even. And I don't mean turning into communists. I mean just talking with other people. You can also make comments to me and, uh, you know, questions if you have any, and uh, I'll see them. You can also contact me directly on Yahoo Instant Messenger, AVRN Talk, is the screen name. So there's all the ways you can participate in the show. The website also has email uh, address and whatever else, whatever other information you may need about the network. All right, let's see here. Let's uh, get to things and stuff. I got quite a few articles open. And uh, let's see. Now, you know, I got it. It seems every day I uh, 
I start off with something about these stinking elections. And, you know, I don't know about you. I mean, they, they have been entertaining, more entertaining than, you know, any elections that I can remember anyway. That doesn't mean nothing else has been more entertaining. But uh, this has certainly been entertaining. Uh, this is along the lines of, like, Kennedy being elected. You know, because he was not. You know, now a lot of people say, "Oh boy, what a guy! What a what a presidency! What a well!" And they did make some changes, but and it did seem that their administration would have been a better America than Lyndon B. Johnson's administration turned America into, but we don't know that. Fact of the matter is, there's a lot of similarities. For one, you know. Kennedy was very popular, even though he was a Catholic. And at the time in America, people were, hey, uh, I don't know, you know, it's kind of like Obama being a Muslim. You know, a lot of people said, hey, wait a minute, I don't want the Ayatollah running this country. Well, he said the same thing about Kennedy. You know, they didn't want the Pope running the country. Well, obviously that didn't. You know, that didn't happen under Kennedy, and it it did kind of happen under Obama. We got a story about Iran here in a minute. But then again, you know, I mean, this whole, this whole, <laughs> this whole Muslim problem, folks, the United States created this Muslim problem, okay? 9-11 didn't just happen in a vacuum, all right? And, you know, Ron Paul has said it, and a lot of people got all over him because you're, you, you're wrapped so tight in the American flag that you just can't think straight. When he said, look, America caused the attacks on 9-11, he's right. He was more right than he knew because he meant that, you know, U.S. foreign policy abusing, you know, Muslims all around the world. When I say abusing, I mean blowing them to smithereens, okay? You know, dropping bombs on weddings and funerals and things like that, blowing up hospitals. Yeah, that's enough to piss people off. I don't care if you're Muslims or whoever you are. You know, you start dropping bombs on weddings and funerals and hospitals and killing children and you know, you start doing stuff like this, man, you're going to get a backlash from whoever. And that's what the United States did for years. But 9-11 was clearly not a bunch of cavemen from Afghanistan plotting against the United States. Really? Because if that's the case, okay, if that is the case, then we need to fire every stinking phony general and which is all of them, at the Pentagon. Fire them. Throw them in jail. Start throwing colonels in jail. Start throwing everybody in charge, then, in jail. Because we're supposed to be the world's superpower. We're supposed to have, ooh, we have NORAD. We have air defenses. Don't worry about anything. We are protecting you. Really? No, you're not. If that's the case, you should all be imprisoned. Because this is beyond incompetence. It would be negligence for you to allow what happened to happen. 
and they wouldn't have if they hadn't been involved in it. Now, there's where the question starts. How involved? That's the only question left. Not if they were involved. It's how much were they involved? So, yeah, the United States government created this whole war on the, uh, you know, Middle East, um, war on Muslims. And then once they create this war, what do they do? They start transporting these people that they have created turned into enemies of Americans. And you know what? It doesn't take people very long because we say, well, that's not really fair. That's not really fair, you know, because, hey, I don't like my government either. They're not doing what I want. You can't hold me responsible for them. Okay, maybe there's a few people like that. There's not enough to make a change yet because, well, no change has been made, huh? The fact is, anybody from any other country can come to this country and find a bunch of fat, lazy, ignorant, uninformed, uh, prideful bunch of jerks for the most part. Now, that's not every American, but hey, take a little trip on down to Walmart. Take a little trip down onto uh, Chipotle's. Take a little trip on down to Trader Joe's. Take a little trip on down to any retail store. Oh, hey, better yet, take a little trip on down there on Black Friday or something. Oh, well, maybe you better not. I should take that back because you could be trampled to death. Why? Because the good Christian Americans will trample little children to get to something to save a dollar. You don't, you don't think that foreigners that watch the you know United States bomb wedding parties and funerals and blow up hospitals and kill children, you think when they don't get transported here, they don't see that too? And then they don't say, well, you know what? It is all these Americans. It's every last one of them. Look at them. We got real problems in this country, and the real problems aren't just Barack Obama. And it's not even just all the criminals in Congress or the criminals on the Supreme Court or all the criminals throughout the bureaucracy of the federal government and the state government. It's not just them. It's the people of this country. And it's getting worse. Oh, it's getting way worse. Let's talk about some morons. Oh, wait a minute. This is higher education. This is a university. How can they be morons? Well, they're being instructed on how to be morons. Oh, man. Hysteria. College students freak out and mistake priest for KKK member. Yes, they freak out. On Monday, students at Indiana University Bloomington mistook a priest for a Ku Klux Klan member talking to social media to express their fear 
of the alleged Klansman, who they claimed was carrying a whip and dressed in white robes. A whip! Wow, what kind of priest is that? Rumors of a Klansman on campus were extinguished after it was pointed out that the passerby was actually a priest, innocently making his way through Bloomington, Indiana. When sighted on campus, students thought his white robes indicated an affiliation with the KKK. Morons. Little weenie morons, okay? Who cares if it was a KKK member? I mean, honestly, folks, somebody wants to dress up in a hood and robes and walk around. What do I care? I mean, okay, oh, but it's okay for Black Panthers to dress up in military garb with billy clubs outside of polling places, huh? That's okay. The U.S. Justice Department says, no, that's fine. And that really happened. Nobody was charged with a crime. Not one Black Panther. None. Nobody. And everybody's, oh, oh that's fine. But a, a priest in a white robe? Oh, boy, that's bad. Oh, my God. Residential Hall advisor Ethan Gill quickly wrote an email to his students warning them of the threat on campus. Nobody checks out anything. Some little moron weenie coward who ought to be in diapers and put to sleep, okay, thinks there's a KKK guy with a whip running around, and hey, nobody checks it out. Residential Hall advisor Ethan Gill he writes an email, there has been a person reported walking around campus in a KKK outfit holding a whip. Because the person is protected under the First Amendment rights, IUPD cannot remove this person from campus unless an act of violence is committed. Please, please, please be careful out there tonight. Always be with someone, and if you have no dire reason to be out of the building, I would recommend staying indoors if you're alone. Because the KKK might come and get you and whip you. This is the kind of crap that they're putting around campuses. And why? Did you hear what he said? What are the little morons going to start thinking? The problem is their own cowardly fear, their own inadequacies to deal with reality? No, of course not, because it can't be their fault. That would harm their little self-esteem. It can't be them. So, who's to blame? I know what it is. It's that darn First Amendment. It's that rotten First Amendment. You see, these kids are being taught in universities that the First Amendment is dangerous. It's bad. People should not be allowed to say what they're thinking. They should only be allowed to say what is proper and right, decided by us. They, they shouldn't be able to do what they want as long as they're not harming anyone. No, it's that First Amendment. That's what this guy Gill was saying there. We can't do anything to protect you because of that First Amendment. Later in the evening, Gill was forced to retract his warning on his Facebook page, where he clarified that the purported Klansman was actually an innocent priest dressed in... What is this? 
liturgical garments, whatever. The whip turned out to be the clergyman's robe-like belt that was tied around his waist. See, are these children in universities really that ignorant of the world around them? Where they think the only the only reason anybody would wear a white robe is because they're a KKK member. And they're there to kill all the niggers. Yeah, that's it. Because, well, he was white, too, and everybody knows whites are racists. Yeah. Except that's not what the statistics show. It shows quite the opposite. This is what happens when there is miscommunication, Gill wrote. No, this is what happens when morons panic and pass on gossip before checking it out. So what happened tonight goes like this. A person saw white robes and it looked like them, and what looked like to them a weapon. Got scared, rightfully so, he says. Yes, yeah, sure, warn people, warn staff, which in turn caused me to warn my residents because I need to look out for my residents, which in turn made it spread. Then my residents, terrified, came running to me saying, yeah, the report must be true. They saw him and couldn't believe there was a Klansman with a whip. And I see this picture. It's a priest with a rosary. Although Gill clarified there was no threat on campus, he made sure to remind students that their fears were legitimate. Really? You imagined you saw the boogeyman, and your fears are legitimate? Really? Because Klan members have caused unrest on Indiana University campuses in the past. <laughs> okay. You know, we used to sail in, uh, sail across the ocean in... Uh, you know, wind-powered ships, too, in the past. It was a long time ago in the past, but I guess that doesn't matter. Anything that's ever happened is, you know, legitimately feared to be feared now. Now, I get it why a person would be scared. There, in fact, have been clans members on campuses spurting hate speech. Big deal, again? Why are people becoming afraid of what other people are saying? Let me tell you something. If, you, if the government, and that's what universities are, and, and the, the rest of the government, starts to infringe on people's right to say what is on their mind, to try to create thought crimes, there will be a pushback. And it will be protests, and then the government will react with further violence like they always do. They will pull another Kent State over and over again. They will shoot students. The cops will say, I thought I saw a gun. I thought I heard a shot. I thought, I thought, I thought I was in fear, so it's okay for me to kill the kiddies. And you know what? That'll go on for a while until people say, you know what, we've had it, that's it. We're going to start hunting cops now. So don't cry to me about cops being hunted down like the dogs they are. Because they are. And they're not getting better. They're getting worse. What are they doing? They're arming up. They're getting bigger, better weapons. 
They're spending more money on their own protection. There is a war coming to this country, folks. And I got bad news for you. You're not going to get to sit it out. So you better get prepared. You know, while the Klansmen have, you know, came on campus and gave speeches about their beliefs, which people say, oh my gosh, that's so hateful. Well, so what? None of them have ever been reported with a weapon. So yeah, if it was in fact a weapon and a threat, it's a good thing to warn a friend. Uh-huh. But it wasn't. So when someone warns other people, we need to be cautious, however. What I've learned from this is to take anything with a grain of salt. In the future, I'm still sending my residents warnings of threats, crime, hate gatherings, hate gatherings, and all, but I'll wait for a confirmation. Hilarious miscommunication. I don't think this is hilarious at all. I like the comment that the, the writer here put. This is what happens when there is miscommunication. This is also what happens to a nation, a nation primed to look for threats around every corner and college students behave more like kindergartners than adults. And that's true. These kids going to universities are like little babies, little nasty babies that want their way. And they think they're so damn smart, and they don't know squat about anything. Okay? And that's a fact. And that's a fact for all of them. And I will say all of them. Okay, 99%. Because these kids in college, <laughs> you know, they're 20 years old. I was 20 years old. I thought I knew everything, or pretty close to everything. I was wrong. All my friends thought they knew almost everything, too. They were wrong. We didn't know diddly about anything. But hey, here's more. Hysterical principle. So it's not just the kids at universities. It's the people that come out of universities and get jobs in education. Hysterical principle threatens parents with arrest for walking their children to and from school. Parents are removing their children from Bear Branch Elementary School after the principal allegedly banned them from school grounds and threatened violators with arrest. Parents told Fox 26 that Bear Branch principal Holly Ray instituted a new policy at the beginning of the year that banned parents from walking their students to or from the school building, forcing them to either wait in a long car line or put their kids on the bus. She's threatening to arrest people. You know what? Since when does a an elementary school principal have the authority of arrest? This is what Wendy Jarman said. Wendy Jarman told Fox 26 she used to escort her children to school. But Ray's decision to ban the practice and Montgomery County constables 
who are enforcing. Oh, man, I I really hate. I got to say, man, Google Chrome is, is just a terrible. And, you know, and then Firefox ain't much better because they're just exactly the same now. So you're just kind of screwed with uh, the browser thing anymore. But anyway, so. Montgomery County constables who are enforcing the principal's decree. This has happened to many parents. They've been cited. They have been threatened. If they step one foot on school property, they will be arrested and charged with who knows what. Other parents told KPRC the wait time to pick students up by vehicle is ridiculous. People start lining up around 2.30 for a 3.25 dismissal. Frank Young, another parent who lives in the neighborhood, also removed his children from the Bear Branch after re- receiving threats from officials. He said parents tried to discuss a better policy with administrators and submitted hundreds of signatures to petition the school district, but the restrictive policy remains. Mrs. Ray's policy is implying that a parent doesn't have the ability or capacity to decide what is safest for their children and that the school district does. I disagree. It used to be much easier to retrieve kids after school, grandparent Donna Bayer told KPRC. I would walk up and get her, put her in the car. I didn't have to get in this line. This is my seventh year here, and I've never had an issue with it. Now it's just taken a long time. It's very inconvenient to the parents. District officials issued a prepared statement to Fox 26 about the situation that supported Ray's supposed goal of safe dismissal. The news site reports uh, several other parents who did not want to be identified have also been threatened with arrest for walking their children to school. Parents said they do not believe the old dismissal process was unsafe and believe the principal is on a power trip. Young told the news site some parents are simply com- complying with the principal's demands, but he believes that sends the wrong message to students. The most toxic thing we can do for our kids is not fight for truth and justice, Young said. Others at the school told Fox 26, teachers are also leaving over the principal's management style. Why isn't this woman being fired? Oh, yeah, that's right, because you're just parents and you don't know nothing, and uh, she's on the team. We got to take a break.
people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is still Thursday, April 7th, 2016, about 1244 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. If that's true where you're at, we are live, which means you can participate. Call in 800-932-1980. You can also go to the chat room located at our website theamericanvoice.com or americanvoice.com and uh, americanvoiceradio.com, sorry. You'll see the chat link there. Just click on it, y'all. You'll be in there. Okay. Let's get back to some things and stuff. And, yep, I do see the chat room, and thank you, but, uh, you know, I can't I can't type back right right this second but uh I did see it. All right, let's see here. We just got done with how stupid schools are and what kind of morons universities are pumping out. Okay. Oh, it's far worse than that. I mean, it really is far worse than that. These are just little stories. I I'm giving you little spoonfuls of this at a time. Because if I if I just sat down and said, okay, here I'm going to just do an hour on uh, everything wrong with universities, uh, you wouldn't believe me. It'd be too much. You'd say, oh, that can't all be true. But it is. It's all true. It's all true. Folks, if you send your children to public school of any kind, you are destroying them. Okay. Oh, yeah, and that doesn't mean every last kid, because some kids are extraordinary, extraordinarily independent. And it doesn't matter how much you try to brainwash them. They're still going to do what they want, think what they want, and be who they want when they're all done. And then, of course, they will go to prison to a work camp because they didn't go along with the program. But... If you send your kids to public school, for the most part, the majority of them will have their lives destroyed. And what I mean by that, what what kind of a life are you providing for somebody when you've taught them for, what, 12 or 16 years to be afraid of 
everything, everywhere, all the time. Even words, people saying things or thinking things that the school told you is dangerous. Be afraid. Stay in the house. Don't go anywhere because somebody might say something dangerous somewhere. Wow. All right, let's get to some things. Uh-huh. Well, I, I'm trying here, but, you know, technology's just great. You know what happens is is that all these websites, it's really the website's fault, because they have loaded up websites now with so much advertising that is based on Flash or HTML5, but you've got video popping up continuously all around you, and it's choking your browser. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, okay, why didn't they build the browsers? Well, who thought anybody would do this? Because what kind of a moron thinks that while I'm trying to read something, hey, the best way to get me to, you know, uh, buy something from you is to annoy me until I hate your guts. Yeah, wow, yeah, that'll make me want to buy things from you, right? Not. And they have it that it's not just popping up little things. Now they have them, like this one right here. They have them that the whole screen goes away and is replaced with an ad screen. Yeah. And these are supposedly freedom sites. Because don't you know, we got to get paid, man. Well, we can't possibly, you know, and and, and this is part of the problem. It's kind of like, look, the U.S. government runs around killing people all around the world, and that pisses everybody off. But everybody ought to realize, well, yeah, but that's not, you know, the American people really have lost control of their government and, it does what they want, you know, it just does what it wants, until they get here and they see the American people. Okay? Once they get a look at us, they realize, no, you know what, it is your fault, you arrogant, prideful bunch of lazy bastards. Ignorant, ignoramuses running around. Fat pigs. Oh, now, oh, you're disabled because you're too damn fat to walk. you got to have a little electric cart now to get around because you're so fat. Wow, maybe put down the chips, huh? And they see this, and it's like, no, it is you. And it is. Because you know what? These sites do this because none of you will support them. Wow, okay. See, there I go again with none of you. Some of you do. Very few of you do. Very few of you do. You are just like everybody else in this country that we complain about. You want everything for free. Why should I give you? You're just doing this. You're just, I'm not paying for that. No, you're not paying for that. But you'll walk into Starbucks and you'll go pay five bucks for a stinking cup of coffee, won't you? That's right. It's your priorities that are screwed. It's not the fact you don't have the money. It's the fact that, no, I want money for... Oh, booze and cigarettes and lattes and, uh, you know, maybe a new car, maybe this, maybe that. Maybe, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll go on vacation, maybe I'll buy this, maybe I'll buy that. 
My, no, I can't afford $5 a month. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. So we end up with ads all over this these sites, right? I mean, I can't even get... I can't even get to the story on this site. North Carolina loses 400 jobs as PayPal pulls facility. Bang. That's all I get to see because of ads. So I go to another site and I get the same story. But according to the New York Times, the Obama administration is determining what... Oh, is determining whether House Bill 2 makes the state of North Carolina ineligible for billions of dollars in federal funding, although some experts believe this isn't immediately likely. A number of companies have publicly announced their opposition to the law, including, now, keep keep a list of these things, because what they're opposing, folks, is they're opposing the fact that in North Carolina, if you got a penis hanging between your legs, you got to use the boys' room, okay? Likewise, if you got a vagina sitting down there, you got to use the girls' room. You don't get to just decide, I feel pretty today, I think I'll go pee with the girls. No. This is what it's about, folks. So you get your pencils out, you write this down, or... Use your photographic memory to remember these companies because these companies are all opposed to this. Can you imagine being opposed to boys using the boys' room and girls using the girls' room? That's outrageous. We're opposed to that. This is discrimination and racism and sexism and uh, what other kind of ism? Uh, it's nationalism, too. Yeah, it's, it's probably the KKK behind it. Un. Freaking believable that anybody would oppose a law that says, hey, in this state, boys use the boys' room, girls use the girls' room. Okay, here's the companies that don't think that's any good. No, no, boys should be able to go in the girls' room, and girls should use the boys' room, and this is a good thing. <laughs> Red Hat, Dow Chemical, Biogen, Wells Fargo. American Airlines, Lowe's, PayPal, Apple, Google, Fedbook, Twitter, IBM, Yelp, and Salesforce.com. Wow. Uh, how, what, what are these companies' agenda? They obviously have an agenda. And the agenda at the core, folks, now we can say, oh, there are a bunch of homos and this and that and the other thing. They're worse than homos, folks. What they are is antichrist. They are antichrist. They are anti-Bible. They are working for Satan, folks. This is a spiritual war going on. And these companies are trying to dismantle Christian principles, because that's what this is about. It isn't about the homos, and every CEO is a homo, or his kid's a homo, and they all support homos. Homos are nothing but a device to promote their anti-Christ agenda. So, if you think you're a Christian, 
You had better start paying attention to these companies that promote this antichrist agenda. I've picked a couple here that I, uh, uh, let's see, which, uh, Wells Fargo. Nope, I, I quit Wells Fargo. I used to bank at Wells Fargo. And, you know, and I didn't quit because of their, pol their pol politics. I quit because Wells Fargo likes to charge you, like, uh, what was it, $90 for a $3 overdraft. It was only overdraft for a few hours. Yeah, $90 in fees. And then they and then they say, "Oh, well, you know, we're not going to we're not negotiating with that. You just have to pay." Oh, yeah. No, I don't have to pay. I can take all my money out, walk away, and you can just suck it up. Cuz you didn't hey, you never loaned me anything anyway. You're not dealing with real money anyhow. So, yeah, go ahead, sue me. Let's see let's see exactly what it is you are lending. Because I know you're not lending your credit because, well, the courts have already decided. Banks cannot lend their credit. They can only lend their principal. What is your principal? Oh, wait a minute. So I signed that credit card thing, and I just created $1,000 that you're claiming is now yours? Really? I created that. Hmm. And then... Through fractional banking, you go out and loan nine times the amount. Uh, I think you owe me, partner. And you're not even loaning anything. What you are is facilitating my ability to create credit for you. I'm going to want some compensation for that. Sorry. So anyway, this is what they're doing. Uh, Lowe's. I do go to Lowe's. I'm going to stop going to Lowe's. I'll go to another, uh, you know, hardware store. Because, you know, quite frankly, folks, it used to be where you would think, well, uh, you know, I don't have much money and, you know, I got to shop around. I got to get the best price for stuff. So these big stores, they got a better price. Well, guess what? No, they don't. Sure, on some things, they got a better price. But overall, one hardware store is pretty much the same as the next. All the prices, when you add it all up, they, okay, if I'm going to fill a card up, it'd probably be about the same amount of money for everything. And if not, it'd be only 2 or $3 difference. So, goodbye, Lowe's. PayPal, that's a little tougher. But I am going to definitely start finding ways to do online payments using a different company than PayPal. And that that's not a hard thing, and it isn't just on this decision of theirs here, because PayPal is really a bunch of dirtbags, okay? They really are. They, they screw the seller of anything all the time. Yeah. Anyhow, so there you go. And... Uh, any kind of business you can do with North Carolina, I suggest you do it because they're taking a stand and saying, no, you know what? Boys use the boys' bathroom. Girls use the girls' bathroom. It's the law. See, things are not just going... The, globalism is a failed idea all around the world, folks. They keep saying, oh, how wonderful it is and all this other stuff, but... 
everywhere that had a successful economy is being destroyed. Germany, powerhouse of the European economy, has suffered lately from a disastrous decline in exports. Main importers of German products are countries with developing markets. China reduced import of machinery from Germany given a drastic economic growth rate reduction. The Middle Eastern oil companies have huge losses because of fall in oil prices while they are the main consumer of the German automobile industry. Germany is more pegged to developing markets of big countries such as China and Russia than other EU countries. Thus, problems in the economy of large exporters directly affect interests of Germany. So, when the United States attacks Russia and tries to destroy their economy, they are, in turn, also destroying Germany's economy. Wow, our allies must really love us. Anyway, got to go. Out of time. I'll be back again tonight. Coming up next is financial survival. After that, we got a full day. So don't go anywhere. And as always, thanks for listening. Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. My co-host, Alfred Adisk, and James Corbett of the Corbett Report will join you for the remainder of the program following the first break in uh, approximately 20 minutes, as we do each and every Thursday. And today is April 7th, 2016. Once again, welcome to the program, and uh, thank you for joining me for my 20 minutes of fame here on Thursday afternoon. Gold had a great day today. Um, It was up strong, stayed strong. That's what I like to see. And, uh, you know, there might be a few reasons. Uh, There was a weaker U.S. dollar index today. Uh, It hit nearly an eight-month low. Plus, there's more concerns that the U.K. might exit from the European Union and uh, put a little pressure on the euro. However, the euro was stronger today, so I'm not sure if, um, you know, if that was the main culprit, or I shouldn't say culprit, but the main uh, uh, impact for the rising gold or uh, a referendum in the Netherlands, uh, the European Union, Ukraine trade, those relations failed. So um, were people seeking a safe haven due to those reasons? I don't know. Gold is just strictly way underpriced. But what I do see as uh, safe haven buying is those 10-year yields. And, uh, you know, those are, we'll have to see what they've done for the day. But uh, I know you're all waiting to see what gold has done. Gold up 1870 day, $18.70 at 1242. We've had some nice swings, uh, you know, $20 plus uh, here in the last few weeks. And uh, gold is certainly having a great year, a great year for gold. Silver is up 15 at 15.32, platinum was up 10 at 959. Uh, palladium had a rough day, down four at $540. The USDX, it's uh, showing it's reversing. It was down most of the day. It's up a little bit, 0.03 at 94.53. But we have s- seen pressure on the dollar um, since it hit that, uh, just about hit that 100 point, or did hit that 100 point. Crude oil down. 31 at 37.44. And the paper markets today, finally the uh, Dow followed uh, the European markets, but, you know, it rever- it was down most of the day over 1%, 174 points down, 17.541. The NASDAQ was down 1.5%. It's down 72 at 48.48. The S&P down 24 at 2,041. And, yeah, the 10-year yield, 1.69. When you see that yield drop that like that, you see that uh, you know it's a sign that people are buying bonds or seeking bonds as a safe haven. And, uh, you know, I think that's the story there in the 10-year yield. That 1.69% I think is incredible. I don't hear anybody talking about it, but I certainly believe that is an important number right there. And uh, in relationship to the gold prices, as much as that has fallen, uh, gold is way, way still underpriced. I mean, we know that when I mean, we're expecting 3,000 and 5,000 gold, and some predict higher, so certainly we're at, uh, you know, we have a long way to go. But uh, buy low, folks, this is still really low prices. And if we expect 5,000 gold, even gold to 2,500 is going to be low. So don't keep the price of gold and silver as they continue to move up a reason to keep you out of the gold and silver market. Because as they climb and things continue to get worse, they're not going to correct. And I don't believe that many of you 
think that gold will go to 700, as I don't. But uh, So we had a good day today, and gold will rejoice, and um, um, we'll see how it ends the week tomorrow. So um, there's a report out today. Jen Dodaro, Dodaro, he's the Comptroller General for the Government Accountability Office, the GAO. He testified at the Senate Budget Committee, and he provided the results of its audit on the government's financial books. Now, there's a lot that he said that we're not really surprised. He says we're heavily leveraged in debt. Well, that's no big surprise. Uh, He talks about the historical average post-World War II of how much debt we held as a percentage of GDP. Uh, That was 43% on average. Average Right now, we're about 74%. Um, And, of course, we're not talking about the true the whole of the the amount of unfunded liabilities um, is based on the the government's audit, the the numbers that they provide. The highest in the U.S. uh, government's history of debt held by the public as a percent of gross domestic product was 1946, right after the war. He says we're on mark to hit that and go way above that. Uh, He says there are projections to go to 200 to 300 percent and even higher of debt held by the public as a percent of gross domestic product. We talked about this just earlier this week, but we're probably already there. They're just not accounting for it. Uh, We're going to owe more than our entire economy is producing. And by definition, this is not sustainable. And where do you think your stock market's going to be? And where do you think the rest of your investments and, and your retirement funds and your retirement accounts and your IRAs, where do you think they're going to be if we owe more than our entire economy is producing and it is not sustainable? None of this surprises me. We talk about it on the program. It's not a shock. It's confirmation. And it's confirmation that uh, the government is coming out, that the auditor is coming out and saying, hey, we're in trouble. But there's more to his testimony. The audit found fault with a number of improper payments that should not have been made or were the incorrect amount. The audit found that in fiscal year 2015, there were $136.7 billion dollars of improper payments. And hey, it was up by $12 billion from the year prior. So, <laughs> you know, what's $12 billion among friends from last year in the government? You know, the audit called into question, see, it called into question the consistency of their financial statements, of the government's financial statements. I mean, we question this all the time, and yet this isn't surprising news it's just it dumbfounds me sometimes to to see that this is maybe 12 billions uh, an increase over year is not much maybe 136.7 billion dollars of improper payments maybe that's not a lot to a lot of people but to me it's just another sign it's a two by four that's flying through the air that's telling us that hey, the government has severe problems. No wonder they don't want Donald Trump in there to try and fix anything. Like I said, we might get Donald Trump in there to fix things, or he'll try to fix things, but what's going to happen in the meantime? It's not going to make your investments in paper any safer. He won't be friendly to Wall Street. And he even said it would be nice to have a currency 
our money backed by gold. But he's, he said it's not realistic. But that's the only thing that's really going to take us out of these problems that we have. So the report found that this was not always the case and found hundreds of billions of dollars in differences between transactions between federal entities. Um, the GAO audit tells us what came into the government's coffers and what went out, what the government owes and what it, uh, what the government owns and what it owes, and if the operations are financially sustainable. Well, they're not. But what's interesting about this is that this guy who testified, he says this audit calls into question the reliability of the underlying financial data or data. The sketchiness is such that the GAO remains unable to even issue an audit opinion on the government's books. Well, I can give you an audit opinion. <laughs> I mean, it tells us what we tell you every day, that we have so much debt that they can't even track it, that they can't, and the books are so poorly, um, you know, so poorly, I mean, $136 billion that uh, they can't, uh, they can't uh, improper payments or were incorrect amounts. I mean, a two-year-old can keep better books than that. So, I mean, it's just amazing that they can't even produce an, an opinion. And um, according to the audit, these weaknesses will eventually harm the government's ability, no kidding, to report their assets, liabilities, and costs. And this will prevent the government from having the information to operate in an efficient and effective manner. Well, did you ever know in our government to work or to operate in an efficient and effective manner? No. There's another report that just confirms how the government cannot work in an effective and efficient manner. And we've talked about this before, is the student loans, the loan program. More than 40% of Americans who borrowed from the government's main student loan program aren't making payments or are behind on more than $200 billion owed, raising worries. Millions of them may never repay. There's $1.2 trillion in student loans that's owed to the education department. Well, there's another 43% of roughly 22 million Americans who weren't making payments. You know, there's a few more million here that were in default on 56 billion in student debt. There's a few more million who owe roughly 66 billion that were at least a month behind. In the meantime, there's another 3 million owing almost 110 billion that were in deferment meaning they had received permission to temporarily halt payments due to a financial emergency, like unemployment. So if you add up all of these billions of dollars, <laughs> you know, that were at least a month behind, uh, you know, that uh, are in default and so forth, you're looking at almost half of the $1.2 trillion that the government has loaned out to these kids. That's almost half of the $1. trillion that's in trouble. And the Obama administration, he worried. Funny if they, you know, Obama really worried about these kids qualifying for loans. 
He's worried about the taxpayer costs, which I don't believe that. I don't think there's anybody in Washington that is concerned about taxpayer costs and the prospects of consumers damaging their credit by defaulting. And I don't think um, Obama and Washington is really concerned about that either. But what's interesting is here you have another arm of the government who loans out $1.2 trillion, and they don't even bother to see if anyone can pay it back. If they they do virtually no credit checks on borrowers, they requires no co-signers, they don't screen people for their preparedness for college-level coursework. So what planet does a, a, a financing vehicle with those kinds of terms would make those kinds of loans? That's another government program that is that is a failure. Oh, and don't forget subprime loans. What about Fannie and Freddie? Again, so, you know, when we talk about our, our, all our programs that the government has, has created, uh, there has yet been one uh, they didn't touch or they didn't screw up. And, and the taxpayer, you and I, we get to pay for it. Now, something else I want to talk to you about on Thursdays, I might do this every week. If I run over time, I'm scheduled to hold back on the on the break, just so I can finish my thoughts and get this in real quick. It's kind of like a gold course 101. Early this week, we talked about uh, financial anal- analysts who only recommend 5 to 10% in gold. Many of these guys have great information. I just don't agree with their asset allocations, and I would debate any of them, and I would probably win. Uh, we mentioned brokers. They don't make money on selling gold. They can't trade you. They make more money on paper investments than they do on the commission of gold. I am not a financial planner, but I've been doing this for over 21 years. I'm here to give you some insights on why gold is important. You know, we stray that, you know, we either buy gold because it's going to rise. We're going to buy silver because there's a shortage and, and it's going up to, you know, $500. We strayed from the fundamentals. I'm going to hopefully give you some insights on how to diversify your portfolio of gold and silver. It it should make some common sense to you. We want to buy low, sell high. What is suitable for your precious metals acquisitions? These are important strategies when you're deciding on how you want to allocate your precious metals investments. And I'm not going to do all this today. We're going to take a little bit at a time. And I don't do these programs just to hang out. I mean, my goal is to help you to truly understand the gold market and the fundamentals because the fundamentals is going to keep you from falling into traps like gold is going to 700 or traps to store your metals in Switzerland or traps to own gold shares versus real gold. You know, you have to be informed so you can make a good decision when you're, when you're working with your money and people are confused. You don't know what to do. You hear so many different things, and this is the first time in your life, particularly people who are getting ready to retire or close to retirement, they never thought they'd have problems. They never thought they'd have to handle their money. They never thought that they'd have to look at our financial system ready to collapse with so much debt that will never be paid that now they have to make decisions on what are they going to do. You can't make decisions unless you're informed. And when you just follow certain people and their, and their views and, their, and the way they analyze for their agenda, it doesn't help you. So we're here to help you understand why gold is an important part of your paper investments and why you must be properly insured. You should insure your wealth. 
If an insurance agent came to you and said, hey, we have a policy that's going to protect you against the falling stock market, I bet everyone that is listening that has paper investments would buy the insurance policy. So why wouldn't you have gold? Why wouldn't you have the ultimate insurance policy to protect your wealth? It's not unreasonable to unreasonable to expect further disruptions in our financial markets. We talk about it every day in banking, in our economy. Good Lord, just sharing with you about the government auto audit alone should scare anyone with wealth that they could lose. We have wars, rumors of wars. Investors, when these things happen, everyone will gravitate towards gold and silver. Precious metals have always been and likely will continue to be a valued form of wealth insurance in good times and bad, a real source of money. Between 2001 and 2011, the price of gold increased over 600% in about 10 and a half years. Silver, 1,100% in just nine and a half years. These are just two examples of the long-term profit potential possible in the precious metals markets. But what's important is during these increases, your paper investments were very volatile, and gold and silver provided you the insurance to offset that volatility. And when you diversify, you are spreading money among different investments to reduce risk. The object is to limit your losses and reduce the fluctuations of investment returns. So how does 5% reduce your risk? Diversification isn't about capturing bigger gains. Diversification is limiting your losses. It's not about gains. It's limiting your losses. The rise in gold and silver is the gravy. The higher the price goes, that's just gravy while you're limiting your losses. Uh, it's just not about the $5,000 gold. It's just not about silver being 100 It's just not about gold and silver and bartering. It is about ensuring your wealth, the fundamentals, protecting your wealth, protecting your purchasing power, providing you with an independence and privacy paper vestments do not provide. Gold is money. Gold will always be money. There's no substitute, no debt claim against gold. Gold does not depend on the ability of someone else to pay, like stocks and bonds. These are the promises to pay that Al talks about. When bad things happen, you will rely on gold and silver. And bad things, unfortunately, are going to happen. And we have to remember, gold is money. You're converting your paper currency to real money. Personally, I don't know why anyone would risk what they worked so hard for. We know what is going to happen. The system is going to purge, and people are going to be wiped out. And it isn't going to come back like it has done since 2010. If you believe a collapse is right around the corner, well, then you know what to do. If you don't think we're going to have any problems, if you think we're going to go to 20,000, 25,000, the Dow, and, and the government is going to be able to pull rabbits out of their hat every day, well, then maybe 5% is all you really need in gold and silver. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. What you don't want is to be afraid of doing something to protect your wealth. You should be afraid of doing nothing. And if you don't understand something, call me. We will help you to understand. 
Call us, 800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. The Mint State 61 coins are available. We did have to increase their price. They're now going at 1345 And again, that's still a little less than 40 bucks over an American Gold Eagle. An incredible steal. Get it while you can. Now that I'm over break, Frank, thank you for holding that break for me, and uh, you guys will continue with uh, Al and James Corbett. Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Adisk, and our guest is James Corbett from the Corbett Report. James will, will be speaking to us from Japan uh, where it's morning, and here it is kind of late night where I am uh, in uh, Dallas, Texas. And uh, Hello, James. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. How are you doing today, Al? Good. Um, I can't complain. I wish I could. I wish I could get some complaints in there, but I can't. Um, How are things going in Japan? If I understand correctly, they may have decided that they're about out of economic tricks. Have they they decided that quantitative easing isn't going to work, isn't going to be attempted any further? Has that decision been made, or is is that just uh, a fantasy in my mind? Well, I don't think that uh, that has been officially admitted, but I think that's what everyone's starting to understand now. Um, certainly, it doesn't look like negative interest rates have had whatever effect they were attending, <laughs> intending it to have. And, uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of quantitative easing, uh, from what I understand, the BOJ is more likely to look at more easing now than further cutting. So and those are they're pretty much their only options. They've been doing and easing you for say- years now. When you say further cutting, you're talking about interest rates? Uh, cutting interest rates, yeah. Sorry. Okay. So making them further negative. Um, I don't think anyone is really expecting them to cut further into negative interest rate territory. But there is, uh, assuming they do anything, it's most likely to be easing. Is there any probability that they are going to raise interest rates? Uh, and the negative interest rates at this time? Yeah, that... no, I don't. I I don't see how they could possibly do that uh, at this point. Um, they painted as, themselves into a corner. They really have. Again, yes, exactly right. Because of course, the whole point of cutting rates is supposedly to get things moving again, get inflation going, and then you can start to raise rates as the economy is picking up and hope that it doesn't derail the the, the recovery. And but even as the Federal Reserve is finding out, I mean, obviously that's. That's extremely difficult to do, and uh, they said that the Fed said they were going to do four interest rate raises this year, and then that got chopped down to well, maybe two, and now it's well, maybe one, maybe zero. So uh, I think, and again, that's exactly what people like Peter Schiff and others were saying. They're going to do one rate hike, and that's it, and they're going to have to cut again eventually. Are they caught in a situation that they can't extricate themselves from, at least not gracefully, without? repudiating fundamental ideas that they've been operating on for decades. And what I'm talking about specifically is fiat currency. Is fiat Mm. currency such an irrational concept that it eventually drives you to a point where once you accept that as a premise, you've got to do some very strange things, including negative interest. Well, I think you're right to gesture at the underlying problem here is the monetary system itself. But they are not, I guarantee you, they're not going to come out and admit that. They're going to look for ways that they can further tinker with the system. And I think this is, I mean, ultimately, whether it's planned this way or whether it's just happening this way, it doesn't even make a difference, but they are going to fail forward with it. And that's going to mean 
further coordination between central banks, like what we saw in the G20 directly after Lehman Brothers. There was the G20 in London in 2009, and that was where they started. Uh, They made the first ever coordinated interest rate cut across central banks. I can't remember how many of them participated, but a number of central banks all cut at the same time as part of an agreement. It was the first time that had been coordinated on an international level. You saw the increasing importance of uh, the Financial Stability Board, the FSB, which is a subgroup of the BIS, the Bank for International Settlements, that was created before that point, but really started to gain some momentum and gain some legs and gain a bit of teeth in the wake of that. And uh, they're the ones coming up with these bail-in rules that are now, as you see, are now now being explicitly put in the Canadian budget uh, that was just released earlier uh, this month or last month. Um, So all of this is now being coordinated at a much greater international scale. And I think when and if and as the central banks start showing their ineptitude and we start seeing the effects of the last several years of bubble starting to to evaporate and or pop, I think they're just going to fail forward and say we need more international coordination, more power. And we're going to have to start looking at the idea of, well, obviously, yes, these individual fiat currencies are unstable, so we're going to have to coordinate them somehow, put them in a basket, start a start a new system. And I think that's what they're going to try to do. But you're right. The fundamental problem is the, the monetary system, the debt-based fiat system, and uh, they're never going to admit that. No. Uh, well, they all fail. It seems, it appears that virtually all fiat monetary systems fail. I've seen reports, one analysis said there were something like 275 fiat currencies in the history of the world, and virtually all of them had blown up with the exception of three, four of them that are still around at the moment, including the U.S. dollar. But they're only good typically for a couple of generations, and then they're gone, Um, which means, which implies, we're going to see that moment. No matter what the banks do, we're going to come on that moment when 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 the currency fails. What's going to happen then? I wish I could tell you definitively. All I know is that I think that the original setup for what was the basis for the current international monetary order was Bretton Woods, 1944. They started to set it up, and that functioned, that actually functioned the way it was intended to function or the way they thought it was going to function for two decades at best. By the 1960s, it was already falling apart. And then, of course, as we know, in 71, Nixon took the the dollar off the gold standard and officially ended the system as it was then. And since that time, we've been working with these floating interest rates. There's really, at this point, not even the, the idea that there's anything backing up the system. That's been functioning for four decades on spit, bubble gum, and, you know, hope and prayer. And we are starting to see that that system breaking down. So I think you're right. We are living through the transitional phase right now. What will replace it, it truly is um, is going to be contingent on the types of solutions that they're going to offer us unless we take the initiative and create our own workarounds. And that's why I'm always stressing that anything and everything we can use to create systems, because it's more about the systems and the, the, the infrastructure we create for trading with each other um, around uh, around their system is the important part of it. It's not even what you trade in that I think is the most important bit. Gold, silver, cryptocurrency, alternative currency, community yeah. currency, barter. Yeah. Absolutely any one of them is preferable, and preferably all of them um, would be preferable. But again, unless we start building this up, they're going to come along with a new 
solution, quote unquote, which is just going to be more of the medicine that uh, that made us sick in the first place. He talks about central bank coordination and that the, the 2009 marked something of a remarkable step forward in terms of central bank coordination. And now we're perhaps seeing evidence of it again. Are the central banks, are they mostly inclined to work together? Are they all on the same on the same page, essentially, or is there significant competition among them? Well, there is the idea of the currency war, the race to the bottom, the let's make our currency as cheap as possible so that we can get engaged in global trade as much as possible. Certainly for the export-dependent nations, that's an important strategy, and that creates tensions between neighbors and between different central banks that in the past, like in the 1930s, did lead to a, a, a real slowdown in global trade, and ultimately helped to precipitate World War II. But, uh, but yes, I mean, I think we're living through that system right now. And I think that we're starting to see some of that international coordination that we were seeing back in the 1930s in terms of the, uh, the uh, sorry, not coordination, but in terms of uh, competition. I think we're seeing the exact same type of thing playing out. And that's worrying because, as we've seen in the past, it leads to real military conflict. Now, I think there is a deeper level beneath that, beyond that, above that, however you want to phrase that, where, yes, those central banks at that level are in competition. But I think that the real coordinating power that, that we're talking about when we start talking about international coordination and the Bank for International Settlements, I think over and above those, those national interests, they're looking at the international system. And there's a sense in which those currency wars and the competition can be used to actually create the, the, the sense of crisis that is needed for that deeper level of integration. And I think that's kind of a, you know, a second level of the, the system that's playing out at the same time. So people like Haruhiko Kuroda, the, the central bank uh, governor of the Bank of Japan and, and uh, the, the People's Bank of China and you know, yelling at the Fed and uh, you know, over at uh, the ECB, what's his name, Draghi, I think they are, in a sense, in competition, but I think that the real coordination that goes on at the BIS is over and above and beyond what they are doing. And uh, they may just be, in a sense, if not pawns, at least not quite the king and queen on the chessboard table. What do you think the chances are that a new world order, a single world government, is likely to emerge if, if, there's, if there's any competition between the central banks seems to me they've all got to get on the same page if there's going to be a new world order. And if there's any competition between them, antagonism, whatever, this isn't going to – I don't see that the new world order as a single global government is likely to emerge right. anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think we are still – we are still a, a, a way away from that. We're not quite at the doorstep. It's going to happen any day now because I think there is still there are still too many people who are invested in, if not national interests, at least more localized interests or, or personal interests, and that do have genuine squabbles. I don't think it is you know one one room full of people that meet and you uh -huh. know they decide everything that happens in the earth. I think uh -huh. there are, I mean, there are factions and cliques, and there are genuine. Uh, power interests that are struggling for control. And of course, while that is still happening, then the global government is not going to, to really materialize. But I, I, I think that the real stepping stone towards the consolidated global government is 
the squabbling regional factions and a growing sense of regional um, uh, identity, which will create the blocks that become the, the, the global system um, of the future. And that global system, I don't know, I think eventually, I think they do want one global government over everything, but I think it can form from the regional um, squabbles. And I think that's what we're starting to see. We're starting to get the sense of Europe as a block, whereas even a few decades ago, thinking of it as a total, a total economic block would have been kind of silly. Oh, you know, Italy and Germany and England, they don't have anything to do with each other. But now we have this sense of Europe as a block. We have the sense of East Asia as a block. We have the sense of Central Asia, Eurasia. It, it is starting to, to materialize in that fashion. And that's the, that's the logical stepping stone. And once we start to get more regional integration and, you know, some, some sort of North American sense that North America is competing against the Asian bloc. I mean, it, it does start to devolve into that 1984 world, but that's the obvious stepping stone towards the global government of the future. One of the things I've wondered about over the years, I, I witnessed this at least 10, 15 years ago, where Japan was at one point on the business cycle, and the United States was at a different point. One of them was essentially at a peak on the business cycle, and the other one was at a valley. And when Japan might sit back and say, we want low interest rates so people can borrow more money and stimulate the economy, at the same time, the United States was sitting back and saying, we need high interest rates in order to slow the economy down. Now, the problem was that when Japan had low interest rates, and the United States had high interest rates. The Japanese were taking their money, was fleeing from Japan. The creditors were saying, I'm not going to lend my money out for nothing. I'll go, I'll move my money into the United States. And the net result is the United States, by raising interest rates, they actually attracted capital out of Japan, which tended to stimulate the U.S. economy. They're raising interest rates in order to stimulate, in order to slow the economy down, and it actually attracted foreign capital and spin and caused the economy to, to speed up. At the same time, the Japanese are trying to lower interest rates to make it easier to borrow, and what they did was drive currency out of the country so there was less currency for the Japanese people to borrow. And what I'm trying to get, what I'm, what I'm, where I'm going with this, is. In order to have a new world order and a world government, they've got to get everybody running at the same point on the business cycle. All right? Japan's got to hit that low point where they want low interest rates at the same time the United States wants low interest rates at the same time China wants low interest rates. Everybody's got to have a desire for low interest rates or high interest rates at the same time. As soon as we start, one country wants high, the other one wants low things happen that just take the monetary system out of the control of the powers that be. Do you follow what I'm saying, and does it make yeah, any sense yeah. to you? Yes, it does. How and I think the, the obvious example of that right now is the European Union, where you have this European Central Bank that for the, the Eurozone, anyway, for the Eurozone countries, is determining the, uh, the interest rates, the, 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 the value of the, the money itself throughout the whole Eurozone. And within the Eurozone itself, you have different countries that obviously desire different, different rates, different levels mm -hmm. that would like either more currency or less. Um, so it, you're exactly right. Um, that so that how do we get them all in sync? Well, 
Well, actually, and, and another layer on top of that is that we're starting, I think we're seeing a similar situation to the one you were describing between the U.S. and Japan. We're seeing part of that right now when the Fed hiked rates last December. And in preparation for that hike, which everyone knew was coming, we started to see all that money flowing back from the emerging markets where it had, it had been invested trying to mm-hmm. find a, exactly a little bit of right. return yeah. coming back yeah. into the U.S. And, and strengthening the dollar, which is... Uh, creating things like the commodities route that we're seeing. So, uh, yes, there are layers and layers of things that are going on here. I think the, the thing that I would say to that is that there is the sense in which you can have a global system that is globally controlled by playing regions off of each other. And it's not the, the type of global control where it's one dictator that dictates everything to everyone. So much as the idea that, okay, this region can be allowed to grow at this point, in this region we're going to put through some you know, economic hardship, and then maybe flip the tables later on. It's like that idea of the 1984 universe where you have Eurasia and Central East Asia and whatever. And the, the question, which is there in the 1984 universe, is, I mean, A, are they really at war at all? Are these bombs even happening? We just read about them in the newspaper. I don't even know if it's really happening. And are they even really at war? Do they even really care? Or are they coordinating all of this? Is this all just for show? And I think that's, that's the real fundamental question of the global governmental system we're being led into. We'll talk more about the global governmental system that we're being led into when we return after some commercial announcements. Please stay tuned. To financial survival. I'm Alfred Addis, and our guest is James Corbett from the Corbett Report, C O R B E T T, report.com. provided strength. Indeed, the chemical compounds of thyme contain antioxidants, an effective germicide that kills whooping cough bacteria and makes breathing easier. Just imagine what you can do with thyme herb when it comes to respiratory ailments like croup, pneumonia, asthma, and sinusitis. The extra benefit of thyme herb is that it soothes the nerves and stops spasmodic coughing, so you can get some rest. Who says you don't have time to take care of yourself? Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free for time, tincture, and tea to soothe your cough and get some rest. 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International 704-875-8010. Or online at thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold 
value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I'm Alfred Addis. This is Financial Survival, and our guest is James Corbett from the Corbett Report, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, report.com. If you're looking for good geopolitical information on the economy and whatever's happening in politics, James is a great source. Um, We're talking about the probability of establishing a new world order, and one of the things you said before we took the break is that you think that the Regional competition might be useful. Right? They can set up regions and have the the Asian region competing against the European region, competing, competing against the North American region, and so on. I'm going to guess that the primary value for that regional competition will be to establish an identity that's not national. You're going to wind up when you understand that the Asian region is competing against North America, all of a sudden you feel a certain kinship for the Mexicans and the Canadians. And Americans do. Um, Same thing with Europe and wherever, South America and so on. But to me it seems that we're still going to have to synchronize all of these regions, uh, get them all on the same business cycle, And the only way I can imagine that happening is if they precipitate a global collapse, a global depression, where everybody zeroes out. We all go down into poverty and uh, some sort of, uh, you know, collapse, and we sit there for a couple of years, and then someone steps forward from the BIS or wherever and brings the whole world back in sync. Does that make any sense to you, James? Well, what you're saying does make sense in the sense that there does have to be a global crisis in order to to justify that global coordination. And as I say, that's, I think, exactly what we saw, at least in prototype in 2009 at the the April G20 in London. I think that was the, the first step towards that. But again, I, I, I think that there has to be internal dissension built into the system as a way for the system to operate. So, I, I mean, I, I, again, I think eventually they're going to try for the global coordination through the global government that sets everything at the, at the top level. But honestly, I, I think they have to build a little bit of, uh, of competition within the system because that is fundamental to our nature. And, at, and whether that's fundamental to human nature or just the way that we have, uh, we have grown up you know, in in our societies, that we expect that, and we need that release valve in a way, so that, for example, when you look at, even internally in the United States in the political system, they need a left and a right. They need a Republican and a Democrat party because that is the release valve for the system. 
you corral people under one flag or another and you get them to fight with each other so that the system itself always maintains. Those Uh two competing forces come together to actually prop up the system as a whole. And I think in the same way, that would be the most logical way to start to try to set up a global uh, system would be to get these regional um, uh, blocks to compete with each other to prop up the system as a whole. And in that sense, I think it doesn't, you don't need that uh, everyone to be in sync. I think you can have one one block trying to raise rates to in in order to cool off their economy or to bring in outside investment or whatever the case may be at the expense of another and i think as long again as as long as you do have some of the players that are above that system and are seeing the bigger picture i think that can work towards global goals just not necessarily in the sense that anybody who's playing that game would really think of it how soon do you think we might be we might expect to see something like global government? Not just an mm-hmm. idea and a, and a goal, and uh, you know, in a sense, you could say we've mm-hmm. got it now on one mm-hmm. to some degree. But yeah. at what point do we finally say, "Oh yeah, this is global government. That's what we've got." Right. Well, okay. Yes. Yeah. So uh, again, yes, it does depend how you define that and what you're looking for. Yeah. But if, if you mean it in the sense of that, we would think of as global government. I couldn't imagine that coming any sooner than, say, a generation. I think a generation would have to be really, really steeped into it to bring it there. Unless, I guess, as you say, in the, the sort of global collapse uh, scenario where there's true, you know, chaos and, and you know, Mad Max type of stuff or nuclear We're kind of on the edge of that right now. We are on the edge. We're always on the edge, I think. I mean, we're always just, a, you know, a, a, a nuclear bomb going off in Dallas or whatever away from, <laughs> Not you know, Dallas. Like, but you know dallas has been mentioned when they throw out some of those cities you know when when they try to scare them no, dallas people. doesn't have anything going on here it's just a big <laughs> retail shopping center we don't have any industry we don't have any <laughs> don't uh, we're not don't no refineries yeah. um you know look at houston maybe or uh <laughs> wherever but the point the point is taken right that we are just one major massive event away from you know, the world being changed forever. I mean, imagine a 9-11 on a scale 10 times bigger, and you could imagine that the type of response that would come from that could truly be that catalyzing event that would that would create the, uh, the ability for a completely new system to be brought in. But barring that type of cataclysmic event, which again, we can't really predict, but barring that, it would take a generation of indoctrination to really get people to the point where they could accept global government in that sense. But as you say, we already are living through it to a certain extent. And I think if I were one of these, you know, central planner psychopaths at the top that was trying to bring the system into place, I think that would be the much, much better way to do it rather than to have that kind of, you know, a horrible break event that, that, that breaks people's psyches and creates the global government all in one go to do it gradually as they are doing through the WTO and the IMF and all these hundreds of other things that are creating the spider's web. And people get caught in the spider's web, I think, a lot more easily than they get caught in the the, the bear trap. I agree with you 100%. Last week we touched on Brave New World in 1984, Brave New World novel by Aldous Huxley, written and published in 1932. Um, 1984, written by George Orwell, published in 1949. And I would say that Brave New World was they came at you with benefits. 
We, they did the things that were logical and rational, and people, well, that makes sense to me. Sign me up for the spider web. But 1984 was the bear trap. Which one yeah. do you think is more dangerous? I, I definitely am more afraid of the spider's web than the bear trap I because I, I think when people get caught in the bear trap and their leg is you know caught, yeah. it's there, it's immediate. You know that you have to do something. It's it's life or death. People will saw off their leg to get out of it or whatever they have to do, and uh, it will it, 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 there will be a definitive answer one way or another. At the very least, there's the possibility that people will get out of it. But with the spider's web, you don't know about it even, that it, you can't even see it because it's so fine and so, so small until you're already caught up in it. And even then, you, it doesn't feel that sense of urgency to get out of it. So it's a, it's a nice, soft you know, cocoon to be, to be uh -huh. woven into. Perhaps uh -huh. we're extending the metaphor as far as it can go. But I think, yes, I think the Brave New World Society really is that spider's web. And that's why it is so much more insidious and so much more... Um, in a sense, already here, already real. When you go, go down the street and you see everyone with their face buried in their smartphone and everyone's enjoying it. I mean, everyone's getting something out of it. Everyone likes where, where they are at this point in terms of, you know, the ready access to, to entertainment and distraction 24 seven. Uh, it's, it's a very alluring little spider's web to be woven into. And I think we're already, you know, halfway in. Um, it's, it, it, what we really need is the wake-up call to say, this isn't a spider's web, but it's a bear trap. You have to saw off your leg. Let's get out of here. Do you think Aldous Huxley wrote Brave New World as purely a, a work of fiction? Or do you suspect that he was aware of people who were laying the foundation back in the 1920s, 1930s? They were already laying the foundation for what we are now coming to call the New World Order. And he knew these were their plans. Was he the mastermind behind the Brave New World or merely the writer who was echoing the plans that were already in place from uh, first generation of psychopaths? Well, he was absolutely um, only the herald of that. He was not the, the author of it in that sense. And we don't have to speculate about that. We know 100% because he talked about it himself. In 1962, he delivered a famous speech at uh, University of California, Berkeley, uh, called The Ultimate Revolution. You can find it widely available online, in which he specifically talked about the fact that Brave New World was not just something that he was making up. It was uh, stuff that he had accrued from actually seeing the types of experiments that people were working on, to a certain extent, maybe less so before he wrote the novel, but certainly it was confirmed in spades after the novel. And in that 1962 speech, he was talking about experiments that he'd seen uh, in terms of trying to, um, uh, he talked about some animal experiments, like uh, hooking um, mice's brains up to electrodes that would stimulate certain uh, regions of their brains that would give them a kind of endorphic rush of, you know, elation. Um, and, and he was talking about those types of technologies that were already being experimented with at that time, and he talked about the human side of those experiments. And Huxley would, would know, because he does come from a very connected family. People yeah. might know his grandfather, T.H. Huxley, as Darwin's bulldog. He was mm -hmm. intimately involved with the, the fight to get Darwin's ideas accepted in the 19th century. And uh, Aldous Huxley's brother, of course, Julian Huxley, was the founder of, co-founder of UNESCO, co-founder of the World Wildlife Fund, a very connected insider type of family that did know about these plans. And 
uh, Huxley apologists will say, yes, he knew about all this and he was warning the people. And that's the way he did frame it, to be fair. He did frame it that way in his interviews that he gave and in the Ultimate Revolution speech. He was warning people about, you know, what dictators of the future could do. But I don't know. I hear a little bit of relish in his voice as he's describing it, um, because he, he really did talk quite openly about how the fact we are coming to a scientific phase where people can be made to enjoy their servitude. Yeah. Dangerous, and still there's a certain kind of logic behind it and the threat of inevitability. Um, we may all be seduced into the new world order. Not marched at the point of a gun or a bayonet, but seduced. Right? And what do you do then? Yeah. Um, As I say, I think that's the more effective way to do it. And I think I agree we're already it. halfway I agree. there. I don't think I think violence do... begets violence and if you're gonna have nineteen eighty four ultimately you're talking about a police state where someone's running around wrapping people on the head or shooting them or whatever, um, that violence will beget a violent reaction from the public sooner or later. And it's like Nazi Germany. It was a it was a, a hot show for I don't know, fifteen, twenty years. I don't even know if it was that long. Uh, actually when you think about it, about fifteen years thereabouts. Uh it looked powerful and uh, you know, omnipotent. And yet what happened? The nation was destroyed. Germany was busted in half. And it's a function of that violence. But on the other hand, if you can uh, if you can run a good seduction, you may be able to get a lot of recruits. We've got only about two minutes left. But would you like to? Th I know you did a video on the Panama Papers, and we don't really have time enough to get into them right now. But are these are the revelations of corruption? Is this just scandal, or are there real geopolitical implications in the Panama Papers? Uh, well, there have already been, I mean, direct ramifications. Uh, if, for example, the Icelandic prime minister has already stepped down. So that's, I mean, the first major thing that's happened as a result, of, as a direct result of this. So there are real revelations here. And I think this is, this is a leak of genuine information, and there are some real, you know, beans that are being spilled. But as always, as with everything else, it's what is being reported and what is not being reported, how it is being reported, what people are focusing on. And like anything else, I mean, if you give this information to the bought and controlled corporate mouthpiece media for, you know, corporations and governments, they're going to spin things for the benefit of their paymasters, the corporations and governments. So it shouldn't be surprising that we're finding all of the reporting on this is focusing on the old State Department enemies, Assad and Putin, and, uh, and you know, a few, they're throwing a few wolves, uh, sheep to the wolves, the Icelandic prime minister and others. But, I mean, it's not surprising where the majority of the, the reporting is focusing on. And I think that's the real story here, is what is being reported to us and what is not. And it's interesting that with this data uh, leak, spilling, whatever, you have 11.5 million documents, of which we have seen, what, 140 or something like that? I mean... There is a lot of data that we do not have access to here. Well, we're out of time, James. We'll get into the Panama Papers next week. If uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about them at that time. We're but we're out of time. I want to thank all of you folks for listening. I'm Alfred Addis here on Financial Survival with our guest James Corbett.
C-O-R-B-E-T-T, from the CorbettReport.com. Take a visit. Thank you, James. Talk to you next week. I'm Alfred Addis. I want to thank all of you for listening and uh, be back tomorrow. In the meantime, with the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, Frank, the producer, and James Corbett. Bye-bye. I work all night, I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Never seems to be a single penny left for me. Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now.
Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Shanahan. And this is the Condition Critical Show, my live show for Thursday, the 7th. Yeah, I have to squint the first time to see the date. The 7th day of April 2016, four minutes past the two o'clock hour out here. I'm in the state of Washington out on the West Coast. And you're listening right here on the American Voice Radio Network, guys. You can go to the American Voice or AmericanVoiceRadio.com, which is the website for the network right here that you're listening on. And get into the chat room, and we can talk about You can just make comments in there and do whatever you need to do. Uh, I have proven to not be able to keep up with the chat room as, uh, as, as well as I should, and that was proven yesterday when my Skype crashed on me, and I just continued talking for 20 minutes, and I wasn't even on the air, and people were trying to get a hold of me and chat, so I apologize for that as well. Hopefully today we won't have any uh, disruptions in service. I had huge problems with my Skype. Uh, last night. It wouldn't even let me sign in, and it was just odd. So here we are today, and everything should go okay. Let's see. Anything administrative? I posted my website in the chat room just before I came on the air. You can go to my website, conditioncriticalshow.com. Check out my blog. I'm working on a, a an article. Uh, I'm, I'm doing these a little bit more slowly than I had in the past uh, for whatever reason. And I should finish this current one I'm doing. I will have it finished tonight, and it'll be up. Uh, but nevertheless, go to my website, conditioncriticalshow.com. Go to my blog. And contained within my blog, guys, towards the bottom is a donate link. And that's there to help keep the lights on. Anything would help. And additionally, there's a donate link for the network right here that you're listening on, American Voice Radio. Uh, go to American Voice Radio, like I said, or AmericanVoiceRadio.com, and you'll find that little link. And as I like to say, go there and donate $5, because I'm sure Frank would appreciate it, and so would I. Okay. 
where to take the show today. Uh, well, let's just kind of stick with a, a theme that I that I had started last week, actually, on my last Thursday show. And just let me pull up the article. I have one other thing uh, that I'm going to discuss this afternoon, or at least one other thing. But this is going to kind of continue on with the theme of last week of how we're not a Christian nation any longer. We're not center-right any longer. We're just not. And I've, you know, and that's kind of what I'm working on, the post that I'm working on. I mean, I I had done one. Already, I think if you uh, look at one of my, my, my latest or the one before that, it kind of covers that somewhat. Well, I'm kind of, the one I'm working on now is kind of like a follow-up. And, you know, I gave a bunch of examples last week how we're not. You know, there's just different news stories like, you know, if we were in a Christian nation or center-right country, that these kind of things just wouldn't happen. And, you know, to me, it's just easily provable. You know, it's not just like an outrageous statement or one that can't be proven when I say that. Because it's just a, it's easily proven. Just pick up the headlines of the day. Now, this is from yesterday, and this is out of USA Today. And the headline is, Jesus Preaching Indiana State Police Trooper Sued Again. Okay. This is from, this is Indianapolis. Uh, an Indian, okay, Indiana State Trooper Brian Hamilton was warned before, stop proselytizing to people during traffic stops. But a new lawsuit claims the trooper, who was sued once before for preaching on the job, didn't learn his lesson the first time. Yeah, he didn't learn his lesson the first time. He should have known better. It goes on. A complaint filed in federal court Wednesday by the American Civil Liberties Union of Indiana on behalf of Wendy Pyle accuses Hamilton of asking her whether she had been saved after pulling her over in Fayette County in January. Court documents claim Hamilton then told the woman about his church and gave her directions to it. It goes on. And this is a quote. Mrs. Pyle was extremely uncomfortable with these questions, the lawsuit says. In order to hopefully end these inquiries, Mrs. Pyle indicated that she did attend church and that she was saved. It goes on. If this story sounds familiar, that's because Hamilton has been sued before. The ACLU filed a similar lawsuit in 2014 when a woman named Ellen Bogan claimed Hamilton stopped her that August for an alleged traffic violation in Union County. After he handed her a warning ticket, she said he asked her if she had a home church and whether she accepted Jesus Christ as her savior. I'm not affiliated with any church. I don't go to church, Bogan told the India Indie Star at the time. I felt compelled to say I did just because I had a state trooper standing at the passenger side window. It was just weird. That's what she said. He goes on. Bogan's lawsuit was eventually settled. According to court records, Hamilton was counseled not to question others regarding their religious beliefs, nor was he to provide religious pamphlets or similar advertisements to them. Hamilton was named as the new lawsuit's sole defendant. A call to a phone number, blah, 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 when Dish Noon wasn't answered. Uh, Indiana State Police Captain David Bernstein said Hamilton is no longer on patrol and was moved to an administrative desk job January 15th after the complaint was filed. It goes on. It's unclear whether that event is connected to Pyle's lawsuit. Uh, Bernstein said that the department does not release information about complaints. And he just added that the investigation is ongoing and blah, blah, blah. And it closes out, Pyle is requesting a trial jury, punitive damages, and attorney fees. An ACL spokesperson said both Pyle and the organization declined to comment on the lawsuit. And that's the name of that tune. That's all there is to that article. So there you go. Now, whether or not, whether or not, you know, whether or not you think it's okay for, you know, a state trooper in any state to, you know, 
preach the word of God or, or, or to, to pass that word along or not. Uh, I don't know. I think it's kind of irrelevant. I mean, it's, but it, but the point is, in a moral and just society, guys, in a Christian nation, we just wouldn't have this. It, it just wouldn't, you know, it, it, we just wouldn't have this. I bet you any money, if this state trooper was promoting, like, homosexual marriage, let's say he wore, like, a rainbow uh, medallion or, say, a, a ribbon or, like, a button, he would probably be, uh, he would probably most likely be commended for doing that. But you, you, see, you see my point? The duplicity there. I mean, if you can't do one thing, you know, if the, and at the end of the day, really, uh, you know, I'm of the yoke that, look, at the end of the day, just do your job. I mean, you're, you're an Indiana State Trooper. I mean, just do your job. I, you know, I guess that's what, what it has to come down to. Just, just kind of be, a, be robotic about it, you know, and do your job. But that's not where, that's not the situation. That's not, the, that's not where we are today, uh, guys, in today's society. Again, if he were, like I said, if he had some kind of a, a, a pro-homo, you know, button or, or something, you know, or he handed out like pro-homo pamphlets or something like that, you wouldn't even hear, well, you wouldn't even, well, you wouldn't hear of it in, in like a negative sense. You know, there would, be, there would be a different article. A brave Indiana state trooper handing out, you know, is commended for, you know, being inclusive and blah, blah, blah. Is that an exaggeration? I mean, do you do you guys think that that is, would be an exaggeration? Because I don't, I don't at all. I mean, look what Obama did after the Supreme Court passed that terrible law or made it a law. They they adorned the White House with lights. Remember that, guys? Like a rainbow motif on, on the white, it flew the rainbow flag above the White House and all that. See. So you can you can do you can do one thing that is completely abnormal, okay? And it is homosexuality, guys. I'm going to whisper this. It's it's abnormal. It just is. It's not right. You're mentally ill. There's something wrong with you. But see, our government promotes it, sanctions it every step of the way, every step of the way, and then they force feed it to the general population. I talked about that yesterday. That that's not what people do. That's not why we form governments. But apparently. That's what they do because, no, we don't do anything about it. So just, to, again, keeping in line with uh, that theme from last week, I wanted to share that with you. Because it's just easily provable. Now, you know, at the same time, we can turn it around. So we just have to get up off our, you know, fat, lazy butts and do something about it. Okay. I'll close out this, uh, you know, this, this episode of uh, we're not a Christian nation any longer, but I fear that uh, this episode is going to you know be a, like a repeat episode, uh, and I'm going to harp on it, guys. I really am, uh, because it's just a big lie. It's a big lie when our politicians you know, on the right claim that you know oh we're a Christian nation and and you know and then you have political pundits you know claiming that we're a center right country t- as well, and that's just that's just baloney. So. I have something else I want to share with you, and you might find this interesting. And this is this just goes in line with uh, the destruction, you know, of our culture, and you know, just the, the wholesale, you know, the wholesale destruction, guys, of our culture. And I mean, white culture. You know, it's it's okay. You know, it's okay for, uh, you know, for a, a black politician to, you know, to what to uh, to campaign exclusively to blacks, right? Well, look at Obama. He got like uh, nearly. 
nearly 100%. He got nearly 100% of the black vote both of his, uh, his presidential elections. And, and see, that's okay. That's, that's okay, I guess, right? And, I mean, I don't expect any different. I mean, hey, that's, you know, if I were black, I now I know Obama's only half of a black guy, but that doesn't matter to them. But my point is he got nearly 100% of the vote. And now I'm going to get to this article in a second. Uh, but now, now with this article, uh, a little bit, you know, describes as how Donald Trump only seems to be getting the white vote or something like that. And how, how that's bad, how that's, I guess, racist, you know. See the duplicity there, too? See how things are just flipped? Let me see if I can find this uh, article. Where did I put it? One second, guys. Because this is a pretty, it's pretty long, though. Let me, here it is. And this is out of the Occidental Observer. And the, the headline, and it's basically a blog post uh, on this uh, Kevin McDonald's website that I came across. And the headline is, or the title is, The Trump Effect, and it's by Richard McCullough. And it just starts off, and it's pretty long, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but it's just, I'm just going to give you a brief example of this, and so you guys can, you know, take this information and utilize it yourself. It starts off, what do the detestable George Will, George Will and Rich Lowry have in common with the execrable Tim Wise and Bill Ayers? Answer, fanatical opposition to Donald Trump, to the point of regarding Trump supporters as enemies. Why not? They all share something in common at the core of their beings. They are all anti-white. Will held forth on, March, on a March 20th edition of Fox News Sunday. Now, this is a comment from George Will. The problem is this. Not only are his, Trump's negative 61%, almost double his positives, 32%, but he's appealing entirely to white people. Now, in 1988, George Herbert Walker Bush got 59% of the white vote, which was high, which was high, and that translated into 426 electoral votes. Mitt Romney in 2012 got 59% of the white vote. That translated into 206 electoral votes. It goes on. Romney got 17%. Hold on, this is very small. Uh, that is all of the non-white vote. Trump, by every measure, would do worse than that, which means he would have to get not just the 65% of the white vote to win that Ronald, that Ronald Reagan got sweeping 49 states. He would have to get 70% of the white vote. And what's he saying here? He's saying, A, it won't happen, and B, it would destroy the Republican Party by making it the party of white people. Now, now this is from George Will. And it's just unbelievable. And there's just a little bit of audio here from this, this maggot. Here it is. George? Well, stylistically, Trump is in the George Wallace tradition. Wallace, who famously said there's too much dignity in American politics, we have to have more meanness. Wallace got 46 electoral votes because he has a regional base. What makes Trump more interesting is he's not a regional candidate. He has support all over the country, as he's demonstrated. The problem is this. Not only are his negatives, 61%, almost doubled his positives, 32%, but he's appealing entirely to white people. Now, in 1988, George Herbert Walker Bush got 49% of the white vote, which was high. And that translated into 426 electoral votes. Mitt Romney in 2012 got 59% of the white vote. That translated into 206 electoral votes. Romney got 17%, that's all, of the non-white vote. Trump, by every measure, would do worse than that, which means he would have to get not just the 65%. Okay, I, I kind of read that, and now he's just repeating what I read. But there you go. That's from the maggot who is George Will. And I ask you guys... Uh, What's wrong with people? 
And don't, don't people see the duplicity here? Don't they? So it's okay. I mean, look what black people do. Look what they do. There you have the NAACP. You have the Black Panthers. You have the Black Congressional uh, you know, Caucus. Or, or the, and you have black student unions. And you have black this and black this and black everything. And that's okay. And if a white person just wants to get one more white person in a group, now all of a sudden we're all KKK members and want to burn crosses in the front yards of black people. And what's more disturbing, because I understand, I would understand that argument coming from blacks, because that's what they do. They see racism everywhere. That's all they see. But when it comes from white people that are supposedly on our side, like George Will is supposedly supposed to be like this, uh, this bastion of conservatism, which he is not, he has always been a freaking maggot. A maggot neocon piece of... He just has. I detest the guy, and I always have. So that's the pro- That's a problem, guys, with people. Now, I don't know if you guys know who Tim Wise is. He has a website, too. I think it's just timwise.org. And, and you want to talk about an, a, another super maggot, go check out his website. I'll continue on with this article. It continues, when host Chris Wallace noted that Trump was expanding the GOP by bringing in more independents and Democrats and asked whether these new supporters could be accepted into a big tent Republican Party, Will responded. It cannot expand that far and remain a conservative party, which means it would be if he's a nominee. That would be no conservative running in the race. And the, and the Republicans who are coming to terms with, and he talks in, in riddles, as collaborators with the takeover of their party ought not to understand that. That's, what, that's another reason I don't like George Will. He, he like talks in riddles. So I don't know if you guys understood that. The article goes on. Will also called for Will, Lowry, and company approved conservative candidates to run on a third-party ticket. See, now, you know, I thought, I thought you know, th- they weren't going to do that. Remember when they forced Trump, hey, man, you know, don't, don't go sign this and blah, 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 you know. Because, look, like I said, and I wrote an article on this, you know, they never, they, they thought Trump was a joke to, in the beginning. They just did not take him serious. They just didn't take him serious. You know, say, hey, sign this, you know, it's, it's not going to matter. You know, and then, oops, all of a sudden, you know, he just starts, you know, gunning them down, mowing them down and, and, and getting all these votes and getting all these delegates. And then they're just like, that. oh, geez, man, we really, you know, we fouled that one up. So now we got to muck up this whole thing, change the rules and blah, blah, blah. And that's obviously what they're doing. That's ongoing. You, you read an article about that every day, how they're going to muck this thing up. And, you know, it's, 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 it's made possible or, or it's, it's at least advanced through rhetoric from people like this, George Will and, and this other guy. So I don't have to read the whole article. You guys get the gist of it. What do you think about that? You know, white people are afraid of their own shadow, and they just are. And, and I say it all the time, guys. You know, it's, it's, it's very easily, you know, done the other way. It's actually too easy. You know, once you just get past the notion that, get past the notion that, you know, it's, it's okay to be called a racist. You know, if someone, someone were to call me a racist, I would say, of course I am. Everybody's a racist. What are you, some kind of an idiot? Everybody's a racist. That's how, that's how you, that's how your culture survives. So you, you, so it's not necessarily a, a bad word. And, and the fact of the matter is it's not even that old of a word. I have a little pamphlet here. I wrote a blog piece on it. Let's see if I can find it. 
It's right here next to me somewhere. Uh, hold on. If I can find it in my pile of, uh, yeah, here it is. Hold on. My pile of notes, guys. Hold on. While I lean back and get this. All right, here it is. Here it is. Let's see. Who created racism and for what purpose? And this is just a pamphlet. And let's see who they say created. Uh, I, you know, I meant to, I actually have a blog post on this, and you guys should go check it out. Oh, who is it? Who is the guy? He was a. Let me find him here. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, perhaps I'll find it during. Oh, here it is. Magnus Hirschfeld. He was a professor in in the early uh, 1900s in Germany. Obviously, he was uh, a Jew. And he was a communist, and he just, and, and it's, well, now, you know, I don't know if this is fact or not. I mean, you guys would have to fact check it, and so would I, but it appears pretty factual. And I've done a, a bit of research on it, and it seems to correlate, you know, that the word came about at about that time. So my point is, is that the word, you know, racism is not like, it's not like some old ancient word. It was a made-up word. It's just, it's one of those words where, you know, they can blurt it out there. And, it, and again, it was designed that way. They, so when they so when that when it's blurted out there by these idiots, it it automatically shuts down debate automatically. I mean, let's say the word didn't exist, right? And then two people are just talking about issues, you know, that maybe involve race, right? And they're going back and forth, and everything's fine. And then a third party comes in and just blurts out, "You're a racist." Well, that's it. There's no more debate. There's no more debate. It's such a, it's such a, well, it's become like such a harmful word, even. It's, it's, it's so, the word itself, the word itself is just so punitive that it just shuts down debate because nobody, and they, and here's the thing, and this is how insidious that word is, is that people will do extremely irrational things to get out of being called a racist. They just will. They'll do things completely out of the ordinary. Completely. They, and now I'm going to exaggerate here, they may even jump into a wood chipper first. Head first into a wood chipper to not be called that name. And it's unbelievable. And people will start defending themselves even before they're called that name. That's something that I point out often. You know what they do. Hey, uh, you know, before they even say anything, no, uh, hey, I'm not a racist or anything, but uh, the other day, blah, blah, blah. I tell people, why'd you have to say that? What, what's that? what does that have to do with anything? So what happened the other day there, Joe? Well, Bob, the other day I, you know, I was at the store and I, I didn't hold the door open for this uh, elderly black gentleman and, and blah, blah, blah. And Okay, so you didn't hold the door. So what? So then, it was, what, it was an accident? You did, you did it on purpose? What? That doesn't make you a racist. But see, white people, they got to go out of their way. They gotta just go out of their way and and act like freaking circus animals around black people because they don't they're they're so so horrified to be called that name. And now look, all right, I'm getting close to break. I understand it a little. I guess I understand it somewhat, and, and I do because you know, people can get do they do get fired from jobs? <coughs> Excuse me, you know, for racially insensitive comments or. You know, and you know what? After the break, I'm gonna I'm gonna cover something. You know, some a person who who's been accused of making racially insensitive comments, 
And now you're going to be, probably be surprised who this person is. And these comments, these alleged comments, well, they're not alleged because they have it on record, uh, were made quite some time ago, but it's relevant. This was back in 1994. Uh, but I'm going to share it with you after the break. Uh, but yeah, guys, there, there's no reason for, you know, for white people to continue to like run scared and act like a bunch of sissies. Because uh, we're just going to continue to get bullied around, you know, and I'm not here. I'm not here on this network and I'm not sitting here right now today uh, preaching any kind of white supremacy. That's, uh, that couldn't be further from the truth. But at the same time, I, I, I am for my race first. I mean, what's wrong with that? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. You know, I just want to be treated or, or at least have the same uh, you know, I guess abilities, if you will, or the, be, be able to do the same things and act in the kind of the, the same way that the blacks and the, and the Mexicans do and when they, you know, form groups or, or, or come together. Nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. That's just the way it is. And remember, I've, I've talked about the lunchroom effect, and it was an actual study. I've, I've brought it up several times. You know, blacks always self-segregate themselves. To this day, they just do. And I had a conversation about that with a with a half of a black guy years and years ago, and he said it was it was uh, it was like a cultural thing to them, it was like a survival thing to them because of slavery, and and he tried to make it look like it was like a uh, a defense mechanism where that they had to do that. And I said to this guy, that's that's freaking nonsense, dude. Okay, that's nonsense. They that's nonsense. You know, just admit it, man. Blacks stick together. Just admit it. There, you don't have to make up some kind of a theory as to why they do it because that's nonsense. It isn't the 1800s anymore, the 1700s, or the 16 or 1500s anymore. It's, we're, we live in modern-day America, and blacks don't, you know, now historically, you know, you know come together as a group uh, because of fear of, you know, being lynched or, or because of slavery or something like that. That was just, you know, that's just a weak argument because they're, they're too, they don't even want to admit, it seems, that, well, see, because if, if he were to admit the other or the, the, the actual reason why, then that would maybe connotate that he himself is a racist. See, and even blacks, you know, when, they, when it gets down to brass tacks, they kind of really don't want to be called that either. <laughs> See how that works? Now, here we go. We're at the break. I will see you guys after the break. The smell of gun grease and their bayonets they shine. He's there to help them all that he can To make them feel wanted, he's a good holy man
body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. 
prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the second half of the Condition Critical Show. This is my live show, guys. It's Thursday, the seventh day of April 2016, 41 minutes past the hour. Visit my website, conditioncriticalshow.com. I had posted a link in the chat room prior to the show. I will do another one right now. Let me just go ahead and do that. Go there and check it out, guys. Ah, uh, there it is. Also, go to the American Voice Radio or AmericanVoiceRadio.com. Oh, that's the website for the network right here, guys, you're listening on and uh, talking about the music I was playing there in the chat right now at the moment. And so you guys can get in there and ask questions and, and make comments, as Frank likes to say. I don't know even why I'd say to do that, because I still have difficulty, it seems, keeping up with the chat room while I'm bloviating. But anyway. All right. Well, I promised I was going to get to a second article <clears throat> about... <clears throat> someone who made some racially insensitive comments, and I, I had commented further that you may be surprised on who that was. And I, this, is, this came out of Reuters, uh, Reuters News. And the headline is, wait for it, Bill Clinton defends wife's super predator comment to protesters. I'll repeat that. Bill Clinton defends wife's super predator comment to protesters. And this is by Jonathan Allen, and this, was, this is from today out of Reuters. So this is very current. This is from today. It starts off, Bill Clinton faced down protesters for 10 minutes at a presidential campaign rally in Philadelphia for his wife, Hillary Clinton, over their criticisms that a 1994 crime bill he approved while president led to a surge in black people being imprisoned. Several protesters heckled him and held signs, 
including one that read that read Clinton crime bill destroyed our communities. Video footage of Hillary Clinton defending the bill in 1994 by calling young people in gangs super predators who need to be brought to heel have been widely circulated have been widely circulated during the campaign by activists in the Black Lives Matter protest movement, otherwise known as the We Hate White People rioters. Bill Clinton defended her 1994 remarks, which protesters say were racially insensitive. (coughs) Excuse me, it goes on. And this is from Bill Clinton. This is a quote from him. Let me make sure it is from him. Yeah, I think it is. Okay. It says, I don't know how you would characterize the gang leaders who got their 13-year-old kids hopped on crack and sent them out on the street to murder other African-American children, he said, shaking his finger at a, at a heckler as Clinton supporters cheered. According to the video, according to video of the event, maybe you thought they were good citizens. She didn't. That's what Bill, that was a quote from Clinton. It goes on, Hillary Clinton, who has also faced protesters upset by her remarks, has said she regrets using them. See? Oops. Well, why'd you say them in the first place? Why'd you say them in the first... And, and look, man, let's just let's get down to brass tacks here. Let's forget that it was Hillary Clinton and how disgusting she is and, and what she, just who she is. Right. And just let's take the comment and let's just take the comment, super predators and, and, and that context and the context of how she meant it. What's wrong with saying that? What would you call them? What would you call, uh, what would you call violent, homicidally violent gang members? What would you call them? I, I don't know. Super predator is kind of, kind of a nice, way to to describe them i mean they could be described a whole lot worse don't you think i mean what's wrong what we what we you know what said when since when you know can you not call a spade a spade how's that for some pun just doesn't make any sense to me guys people are just freaking out of their minds you know they're just out of their minds let me continue with this article let's see here bill clinton said last year that he regrets Clinton said last year that he regrets signing the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act into law because it contributed to the country's high incarceration, high incarceration rate of black people for nonviolent crime. So he regrets it. Oops. <laughs> right? He, he regrets it now. wonder why he did it back then and now he regrets it. Well, he regrets it now because his wife's running for president, obviously. And, you know, if he doesn't come out and regret it, you know, then he could be, well, you know what? I guess if he didn't come out and regret it, uh, perhaps they would call label him a white supremacist and that he was a member of the KKK. Remember, that's what they did to Donald Trump for supposedly not disavowing the endorsement, which was what didn't even happen from David Duke. Remember that? Covered that. Let's see here. Well, that was it. Yeah, that was it. I thought it was a bit longer than that, but uh, that was it, guys. So I thought you'd... Uh, I found that interesting. And again, it just... Uh, you know, I should have mentioned before I talked about this, this is going to be another conversation about race. Uh, as you know, I like to, to have those because we've been instructed, had been instructed by our former attorney general, as you know. And so I should have mentioned it before I talk, started talking about this, guys, that this is, was another episode of a conversation about, about race. And, yeah, it's just, again, what's wrong with that? with that comment when just calling someone a a super predator, there was something else that happened. And I don't know if you guys heard about this. Uh, There was an anchor woman. Okay. From a TV station in the Pittsburgh area, the female anchor woman. And uh, let me see if I can find this. Oh, hold on. Let me see. She was fired for, uh, 
Have you, on, there was an event that happened. That's not it. Uh, I'll look for it here while I'm talking. There was, in, there was something that happened. There was a, it's called the, uh, the cookout ambush. That's what they've dubbed this, uh, this mass. Well, I, I, don't, I hesitate to use that word mass shooting, but there was, a, there was like a, a shooting in, in the Pittsburgh area. This happened last month. And uh, there were two black guys. They ambushed, and it, it, family members actually. It's 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 been alleged that the two perpetrators are family members. They're like cousins or something like that. And and there was some kind of drug deal gone bad or whatever the heck it was. Or and so in retaliation, they they ambushed. I mean, for real, gangster style, ambushed th- th- this cookout. And there were like dozens of people at like a cookout, an outdoor you know backyard barbecue, right? Five people were murdered, along with an unborn child. In other words, one of the the, the females was, was pregnant. And so, uh, so this this reporter et, and I, I I wish I could find that article. Uh, this reporter et, okay, made some comments, and well, she was fired. She was subsequently fired. And let me see here if I can just type it in and see news. Uh, okay, hold on. Because this is pretty relevant, and it ties into what we're talking about here in this conversation about race. Hold on, let's see. Uh, uh, hmm. now let's just see if that pops up. Yeah, here it is. I guess she made the comments on Facebook. And you know what? If you have Facebook, you should get rid of it. You just should. How many people over the last five years, guys, have you heard getting fired from their jobs or you know, getting into hot water because of comments made on, on Facebook. Now, look, I mean, people should be able to make comments, I guess. But, I mean, you look, if you got Facebook and you're, you're posting things on there, uh, you know, you should maybe start a blog. I think you would be a little bit more protected, you know, if you, had, if you do it on a different format. It just seems to me Facebook isn't the place to do that. Anchor fired for Facebook comments, again, stirs controversy on social media. Wendy Bell, the news anchor, recently fired from Pittsburgh station WTAE for racial comments on Facebook, is again under fire for her, for her actions on social media. Bell tweeted about her, about her new Facebook page using a hashtag style typically used for mass tragedy, leading many to criticize her insensitivity. Join me on my new Facebook page. And this, you know, this is so, this is so juvenile and retarded. So she, she came up with a hashtag. Hashtag Pittsburgh strong, you know, and I guess she's being, well, she's being criticized for that. That's, 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 I guess that's insensitive too. Uh, whatever. There was hashtag Boston strong after the Boston marathon bombings, hashtag Paris strong after the terror attacks and so on. Some residents were even angrier about the misused hashtag because Monday marked the seven year anniversary of a domestic dispute in Pittsburgh that left three officers dead. The Pittsburgh station fired Bell after viewers complained about nuanced racism, nuanced racism in the anchor's Facebook post about a mass shooting in Wilkinsburg, which is a suburb of Pittsburgh. WTAE said her comments were inconsistent with the company's ethics and journalistic standards. And let me just click this link and see if uh, I can find what she had said. A backyard barbecue, then 49 shots behind the scenes of Pennsylvania's mass killing. And there's going to be some audio, which I'm not going to play. Uh, the narrow, and I'll just read from this article and see if we can get to the bottom of what she said here. 
The narrow backyard in the predominantly black neighborhood of Wilkinsburg, Pennsylvania, just outside of Pittsburgh, was a humble but happy place Wednesday evening. March had come in like a lamb, and the record warm weather uh, was reason enough for about 15 friends and family members to gather for the first barbecue of the season. I thought it was more than 15 people, so I apologize. I misspoke. I, I, I assumed it was more than that. Uh, the simple spirit of the celebration, uh, the simple spirit of celebrating the coming of spring prevailed in this humble but happy place until just before 11 p.m. Wednesday when two gunmen pumped 49 shots into the once celebratory crowd. The fences bounding the narrow yard suddenly became barriers to escaping those bullets. And when the casualties among the uh, celebrants were known, the deadly toll would be too much to bear. Five adults and an unborn child were killed, and three more adults were wounded, too critically. But amid all the heartbreak, loss, and shock, there is an ongoing search for both answers and two suspects, blah, blah, resulting. Uh, Tribe.com, that's a newspaper website, Tribune Review, uh, which is their, their website is tribelive.com, reports that as of Thursday, police still have no suspects. Now this is an old article, blah, blah, blah. Did it have something to do with drugs? It goes on and on and on. All told, I'm just trying to get to the bottom of maybe if uh, the bottom of what she said. Hold on, let's see here. Continue on a little further. Continue on. Uh, she's displaying major things, blah, blah, blah. Right now, I have no choices. Okay, they're just talking about the, uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, victims and so forth in there. But anyway, this, 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 she, she had made some comments. And I'm going to kind of just remember them. She said something like, you can imagine who these people were. This is what this anchor was saying. I don't know if she did it on the air or, or not, but she said something like, you can imagine who these people were. Uh, these, are, these are young men, probably black, uh, without fathers, with long, lengthy criminal records, so forth and so on. That's kind of the gist of what she said. And I mean, that's that may even be somewhat verbatim because I'm just trying to remember it because I, I can't find it at the moment. So that is basically, you know, what she said. And she was fired for saying that. And look, you just get fired for preaching the truth or saying the truth anymore. You just can't do it. You have to totally whitewash it. And that, look, man, you, look, we're, we're never going to solve problems. We're, we're never going to get to the bottom of things if we can't talk the truth. You know, if we can't just say what really happened, you know, describe what really happened. And far too often, far too often in these types of uh, situations, the media, well, excuse me, the media go out of their way. They go out of their way. They will not, they will not describe, you know, the perpetrator if, if the perpetrator is black. They just won't do it. There's all kind of coded language out there, and we're all familiar with it. They're either teens or youths or young adults or, or uh, unidentified assailants. And when, when you hear that, when you hear that, guys, I don't care what anybody says, when you hear that, you can almost guarantee that it's a black dude or that it's a black person. That's just all there is to it. That's all there is to it. You know, but see, white people don't get that same, you know, that, that same, you know, benefit, if you will. They certainly don't. I mean, if it's a white guy, uh, he's going down. He's going down and he's going to get smeared with, uh, you know, with uh, being a, a KKK member or a white supremacist. Okay, he just is. So I just wanted to point that out in this ongoing conversation about race. Because you know what? I don't know if I've said this, but if I have, I'll be redundant and just say it again. We do need to have more of conversations about race, and we need to flip it around. We just need to flip it around. And I'm not saying dwell on it and, and just, like, make it your life's, you know, mission or anything like that. But in everyday life, in everyday life, I would imagine that, that, you know, that, or at least a couple of times a week, 
there's going to be a circumstance where, you know, you can do some good, right? When, when, it, when it comes to this type of stuff and you can shut people down and it's real easy to do. It's real easy to do. There's one thing that you can do that works for me. And when, uh, and, and, and I've said it before and, and I'm not going to like, you know, try and describe a situation where I would say it, but just for instance, you know, if a, uh, you know, you're in a conversation or something with a black guy and, and then they don't like what you say or something like that, or what did you do? Like one time, okay, here's a good example. I, and I've said this before on the TV, you know, at, at work, Michelle Obama was, they were showing her and or whatever like that. And I'm like, man, that is a, that is one ugly, that's one ugly broad. And this black guy said, hey, what do you, blah, blah, blah. And I said, whatever, dude. And, I, and this is what I say to them, to him. I said to him, I said, you're, you only, because he had like asked me a question, what? And it was like, he was trying to bait me. You know, I said, you what? You only asked me that question because I'm white. And that, they don't know what to say to that. They don't know what to say to that. But in their feeble mind, they, I think they get it in the back of their head to go, oh, okay, I, I, I can't, my, my rhetoric, you know, my, you know, my blackness isn't, doesn't threaten him. So I can't, you know, I got to be careful around this guy because I can't just blurt out and call him a racist because he has half a brain. I mean, I'm sorry. That's just all there is to it. And everybody has a brain and, or at least a half of one. Right. Right. And so just use it, you know, just use it. There is a part though. There's a part somewhere up in there, you know, in, in white people's brains that has been shut off like a long time ago. Okay. And we're getting close to the end of the show. And I'm going to close out this conversation about race here in about a minute, but you know, there's that part of that brain, guys, that just, it's real easy. Just massage it, you know, think about it when you go to bed at night. Okay, locate it and get it going and start and fire it up, right? Just like a computer, right? And just get that little, just get it fired up, boom, right? And then it'll just come to you then. Then, see, then that, you know, because computers, man, they're, they're, you know, the brain's a supercomputer, man. It'll, it, it will, uh, it will do everything for you. It, you. You won't have to, in other words, you won't really have to do much once you get that little sensory mechanism that has been disabled, you know, turned back on, just get it turned back on, flip this thing around, just flip it around. And then maybe we can, then maybe we can have some sanity in this country as far as uh, racial uh, issues go, because certainly Barack Obama, the first half of a black president, and it was touted before he became president the first time that he was going to transcend race and bring the races together. Well, as we all know, that just did not happen. In fact, and it's been widely reported on that race relations are, are much, much, much worse now than they were before. And that's on, that's on the blacks. That's on, and it's primarily on the half of a black president. It just is. And he's going to have to deal with that. And he's going to take, that's going to be mostly his legacy. On top of being the worst president of all time, he's got that too. He's got that little, uh, you know, noose or that new uh, uh, ring around his neck. He just does. Oh, you use the word noose while talking about black people. That is so racist. Whatever. Go pound sand. That's what I say. All righty, guys. It is, no, it's the end of the show. There you go. So I appreciate all of you guys listening. God bless each and every one of you. Hey, go to my website. That's a good way to contact me. Okay, got email there. You can send me an email. Send me a news article you may want me to comment on and whatever. A song request as well. I would be happy to do that. You can also text message me. My cell phone number is 253-973-2995. Nanya in the chat room, he text text messaged me yesterday about Merle Hager passing away. I appreciate that. Bit of uh, tidbit. So there you go, guys. It does work, and people do it. 
Again, God bless each and every one of you. I do thank you all for listening. I will see you all next Wednesday, guys, for two hours. And remember this, guys. Freedom comes from the sword. See you next week. heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. People realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
Lawrence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com. Or simply call 316-619-4886. Welcome to the Messiah's Branch Broadcast, a one-hour prophecy program on the American Voice Radio Network. Pastor Dan of the Messiah's Branch Ministry. And now, here's Pastor Dan. Welcome to Mission Watch Live, another Messiah's Branch National Satellite Radio Program. We are broadcasting live from the Playhills of Kansas, and we're on the American Voice Radio Network. Today's date is February 4th, 2016. Live, we are warning the world as it happens. I want to thank our listener bases, which is worldwide in places like Australia, Canada, Israel, South Africa, Mexico, Ireland, Turkey, just to name a few. And of course, in the good old USA, in cities such as Fort Worth, Texas, New York, Detroit, Michigan, Denver, Colorado, and many others, as well, of course, Wichita, Kansas, where our bigger group of listeners, biggest group of listeners, are located at. If you need help with anything after this program, call me. I'll pray for you or with you. If you get the machine, please leave your name, your number, your prayer request, and or a message. The phone number, of course, is 620-878-4682. And an emergency, my cell phone number is 316-619-4886. Now, remember, you can also send me an email, um, and if you even include your address at, on it with your prayer request, or just a request to call me. But if you send it with your prayer request, I'll print it out, take it to the mission church, we'll anoint it with oil, and we'll pray over it in a prayer circle. And also you can send me one by U.S. Postal. That is at no charge to you, of course. We're here for you. Anyway, you can find updates with the Breaking News, our ministry, radio program archives, and our mailing address. All this can be found on our blog, which is prophecyhour.com, which is like a hub for all of our ministries that we do, whether it's the Mission Church or for radio or what have you, everything can be found there. And remember, um, our uh, websites, our blogs, whatever, are very smartphone-friendly. Anyway, now prayer, because I'm going to quit talking, because I'm really excited about tonight's guest and our topic. Dear Heavenly Father, and you show how much you name, I pray. Father, I pray that radio tonight goes according to your will and not my will, nor my guest will. 
But, Father, please give everyone out there ears in which to hear the truth. Amen and amen. Well, our guest tonight is Daniel Thomas Lancaster. This is the first time he's been on radio with me. He's the educational director with First Fruits of Zion, the author of the popular Torah Club series, Messianic Jewish Commentary on the Torah, the Prophets, and the New Testament. He's also authored several books through First Fruits of Zion, including Restoration, Returning uh, the Torah of Moses to Disciples of Jesus, and today's title, What About the New Covenant? He travels extensively as an international speaker in the field of Messianic Judaism and pastors Beth Emanuel, a Messianic Jewish synagogue in Hudson, Wisconsin. So now let's welcome Daniel. Are you there with me, Daniel? Yes, I am. Thanks very much for having me on the show. It's a big privilege. Well, I'm really glad to have you on with me, and it is my privilege. You know, I, I, the reason I ask you on is because uh, I recently was offered your book by First Fruits of Zion, and that was the book, What About the New Covenant? In fact, I was so impressed with it as I turned it into a Bible study at the Mission Church that may well, well last into spring, which from then I'm going to go into uh, the program that you folks have called the Foundation. But you have another name for it, which I can't pronounce, so I'm just calling it the Foundation. You can tell us what it is. But that's also from First Fruits of Zion. So um, what is the other name of that program? And tell the folks a little bit about First Fruits of Zion, please. Sure. Well, the program that you're referencing is called the Hayasod, the Hayasod uh, Bible Study, the Hayasod Bible Discipleship Program. We call it Hayasod. That's the Hebrew word for the foundation, as you observed already. And we call it that because it's about the Bible. It's about the foundation of our faith. It's about reading the Bible from a Messianic Jewish perspective. And that's what First Fruits of Zion is. That's what we do. We are a Messianic Jewish ministry composed of Messianic Jewish believers and Gentiles on the ministry staff. I myself am not Jewish, but I am the educational director with the ministry. Uh, and we teach Messianic Judaism to Jews and Christians. That's what we do. We've been at it for about 25 years. And we have the Torah Club program and um, several other uh, Bible study aids, commentaries, publications, Messiah Journal, Messiah Magazine, websites, uh, the whole across the whole platform of all medias, we try to get the message of the kingdom of heaven out. Yeah, amen. And you do a really good job of it. Um, not, I, I refer people to your site. Um, while uh, folks don't get them mixed up with Hebrew roots, you're, you're different, of course, than the Hebrew roots. I know how, but maybe a short sentence on how you're different from Hebrew roots? Right. You know, the Hebrew roots, the Hebrew roots of Christianity, Hebrew roots is sort of a shorthand way of saying the Hebrew roots of Christianity, and it's a that's a wide, wide range of people. That's pretty much refers to anyone who's interested in getting back to the, you know, digging into the scriptures from a Hebraic perspective. The Hebrew roots can include a lot of strange things as well, you know, a lot of aberrations off of the faith that um, are, might be troubling, you might say. Some of them are, <laughs> some of them are troubling. Messianic yeah. Judaism, First Roots of Zion is a part of, of Greater Messianic Judaism. Messianic Judaism is essentially... Judaism, plus the New Testament, plus the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah through the New Testament. And so yeah, we stand on a very old tradition, you could say. A, a really, a, it goes way back. I was going to say it goes back to the founders of Messianic Judaism in the 19th century, but actually it really 
goes all the way back to the days of the apostles. Yeah, amen. Um, that's what I would say. I just didn't know there was a name for it. When I first come out of the world, you know, I, I was at church, and I studied my Bible, and so later on, you know, after I after about 10 years or more into the faith, after coming out of the world, somebody invited me to a uh, Messianic Jewish uh, synagogue, and uh, I went, and I went, wow, here's people that believe like I do. So, you know, to me, you know, this goes back to the first. It's just biblical Christianity. I guess we could call it Christianity, and for the record, folks, Christianity just means Messiah-like so or Christ-like so. Anyway, but uh, we came today to talk about um, your book. I am really greatly impressed with this book. I have been trying to explain to people about, you know, how the covenants work and how some are canceled or not canceled. But um, let me give you this opening line. Wouldn't the Bible, couldn't we just safely get away with calling the Bible a book of covenants? Um, Would it be safe to say that? I think that's a, actually a pretty a pretty good way to to put it. Now, of course, there's a lot more in the Bible than just covenants. Uh, a covenant is an agreement between two parties, and in the Bible, it's usually an agreement between God and Israel. It's usually the way the covenants shape up. Although there's, you know, the covenant between God and Noah and all humanity, and the covenant between God and Abraham, and covenant between God and David. But um, you know, there's quite a bit more. There's a, the Bible has prophecies and poetry and narrative stories, history, uh, moral teaching, uh, and so on. But all of it re- revolves around the thing that connects all of this loose, uh, these different genres of literature uh, together is the story of this covenant relationship that's evolving between God and His people. A covenant relationship that starts the very narrow focus uh, between God and Abraham, and then is expanded to a covenant between God and the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that is, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, and then expands even further to a covenant between God and the nations. Yeah, amen. Uh, it surely did. And it's it's really fascinating, you know, especially the way that, that you put it um, in a very organized manner in this book. And, folks, this book is only, like, I'm, I think it's like 81 pages, I think. And it's it a short is re- book, yeah. Yeah, it's a short book, but this book is dynamite because it really lays everything out in an understanding way. Well, let's, let's talk about Abraham's covenant just a little bit. Um, so what about Abraham's covenant? Now, isn't that a land covenant, so to speak? Well, there's a lot of—there is land. There, there's a lot involved in the covenant with Abraham. Uh, a big piece of that is the land that God promises to Abraham, I will give this land to your seed, to your children, your descendants. And that is the land of Israel. It is the at the time of Abraham, of course, it was the land of Canaan. But it's that little strip of land on the— shore of the Mediterranean there that uh, is causing all the trouble in the world today, that same little piece of geography that all nations seem to be obsessed with. That is called the promised land because God promised it by covenant to give it to Abraham and to his son Isaac and to Jacob and to their descendants, the children of Israel. That's right. So it's a, it's a land covenant. But the covenant that God made with Abraham also includes other promises, such as, I will make you great, I will make your name great, I will make you a great nation, you will be the father of many nations, I will bless those who bless you, 
I will curse those who curse you. And in your seed, all nations will be blessed. And that's where Paul finds the gospel, that part of the covenant. In your seed, who is the seed of Abraham? Well, on the literal level, it's certainly the children of Israel. But you'll remember in the book of Galatians that Paul looked at that verse and he said, it says seed, a seed could be plural, seeds, or it could be singular, a singular seed. And Messiah is the singular seed of Abraham through whom all nations are blessed. And therefore, the Messiah is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. And that promise is fulfilled through the nations coming into the family of Abraham, so to speak, spiritually, coming into the family of Abraham, and therefore into the covenant of Abraham through their faith in the seed of Abraham, that is the Messiah. So they're starting right there with the first covenant in this series, the Abrahamic covenant. We find the gospel has already been laid out for us. Yeah, amen. Amen. And you you put it so well. So um, having brought forth Yeshua, and and that's what I see, that's when it says Abraham believed God. You know, I I seem to think that that Abraham knew about Yeshua, and he looked forward to a coming Yeshua, and that's how he was, you know, basically was saved, because I believe that no one gets into the kingdom except through the Son. But anyway, um, so... It, that's an everlasting covenant. That would have to be an everlasting covenant because it brings forth Yeshua. So um, so many people say when the Sinai covenant came, well, that Abrahamic covenant is, is gone. So does the next covenant cancel out that? Well, it doesn't actually the next, but doesn't it, it, does it cancel out Abraham's covenant just for the people? Right. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that. I'm really glad you brought that point up because, you know, it is it is remarkable that there is this idea that each subsequent covenant that God makes cancels the previous covenants. And so this is an idea that's come to us, you know, uh, through different theological channels. Uh, But dispensationalism has a little bit of the share of the blame in this as well. It's the idea that, you know, there's these different dispensations, which could be described as these different covenant relationships, as if God said to Abraham, okay, I'm going to make this eternal covenant with you. And then he got to Mount Sinai, and he said, eh, scratch that, forget that, forget that. Let's start over. I'm going to make a new covenant with the children of Abraham, and that's the law. And so now you have to keep this law. And then, uh, you know, that's going to cancel the previous covenants. And then, you know, we get further on, when we get to the new covenant, he says, okay, that didn't work. We tried that for 1,400 years. That, that didn't work. Forget that. Let's back up. Um, let's try something else. And then he gives us the new covenant. This is sort of, I'm being, you know, I'm being a little facetious and sort of a par- you know, making a parody of, of these ideas. But um, it's, it, it, gives, it, gives a, it creates a capricious God in our minds who you know, makes a promise and then reverses the promise, makes another right. promise and then reverses the promise. But what does Paul say about this in the book of Galatians when he's discussing Abraham's covenant in the book of Galatians? He says that just as in a human uh, covenant, uh, when, when human beings make a, make a treaty or some sort of uh, formal legal document, nobody can come along and add to it or subtract from it. Uh, so, so in the same way, 
when God made a covenant with Abraham, it wasn't possible that the Mount Sinai covenant came along and canceled it and overrode it as if those promises no longer stood. Instead, every covenant builds upon the previous covenant. So a later covenant has to work with the previous covenant. It can't cancel it. Instead, it it uh, works in conjunction with it, expands upon it, builds it, uh, rather than replacing it. And this is actually, I mean, this sounds like an obvious thing, uh, but it's not obvious. And it's, it's really, it's something that, um, you know, overturns yeah. a lot of theological ideas. Well, let me uh, jump in for a second. You know, um, what you said at first, you said, well, um, the way you explained, you know, the way theology seems to be working nowadays, that's exactly, you know, really in reality what's going on out there. And that's why you see so many different versions of it in in Christianity. And then you see, and when I say Christianity, I mean mainstream Christianity. And then, um, and of course, not all are that. So, you know, we realize there's room for people in different, you know, thinking capacities. But then you have the Hebrew roots, you know, which um, to me, you know, I I have a lot of good brothers in the Hebrew roots and friends and, you know, both male and female. And, but, you know, it's, uh, it's even in there, there's so many different doctrines. And I think most of it is, comes about because they don't understand um, the, if they understand this lineup, the way that you put it out in this book, again, folks, it's called What About the New Covenant? You can get it from First Fruits of Zion. But anyway, the way that you lay it out um, just makes sense. It makes biblical sense because I saw it in the same way. Maybe I didn't have the same wording, but I saw the same things that you're saying in this book, and that's where I went like, aha, here is, uh, you know, a great thing. But, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh And I think most of that comes from, a lot of it comes from is people have been uh, placed with replacement theology, which, you know, the church now replaces Israel, and so how could they do this or that? Um, What do you think? Oh, absolutely. So you brought up replacement theology, so let me just speak to that a little bit. This, This idea of replacement theology, where Christians have replaced the Jews, the church has replaced Israel, and uh, the, you know, we are now the people of God, and the Jewish people are no longer the people of God. That idea is based in a faulty understanding of the way that covenants work. So God made a covenant with the Jewish people, he says. He takes them out of uh, Egypt, and he says, if you'll hear my voice and obey my covenant, you'll be my holy people, my special treasure, even though I own the entire world, you will be for me an amsegula, a, a special people, and um, a kingdom of priests, a holy people, right? And so this is God's, uh, you know, as he's, he's uh, taking Israel, so to speak, as a bride. Uh, the, he's, uh, the, the rabbis refer to this as the betrothal passage in the Torah. And so God is you know, he's, he's making these lavish promises to the, to the Jewish people. Well, then, if the New Covenant comes and cancels this Mount Sinai Covenant, now we can assume that since there's a New Covenant and the Old Covenant has been canceled, that this is as if God has divorced the Jewish people and taken a new bride. And that's, 
that's the Christian people. And so this is, that is a fundamental understanding in the majority of church theology. This idea that God has replaced the old covenant with the new covenant and the old people with the new people. But it's a misunderstanding. And when we fix that misunderstanding, that one simple little misunderstanding, if we can fix that, we can fix the problem with replacement theology. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where replacement theology and not understanding the covenant's like, you know, I'm going to address this. Is I, I jokingly, but seriously, um, when I talk about Abraham's covenant, I open with calling it War of the Land Covenant because, you know, Christians always say, you know, I remember all my life from since I was uh, uh, little, I'm 60 now, hearing, I'm going to the promised land, you know, and they they don't really realize the promised land that they're going to, but the the point is 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 that it's eternal, you know, and by reading the word. Uh, without having church in it, without having preconceived ideas, the Bible does really explain it. So um, let me say this. So then uh, we don't want to get too deep into the, the New Covenant, though. I don't want to go in there because we'll, we've got about three minutes left for a break, and then we'll bring into the New Covenant then uh, so we won't get interrupted. So we just need to fill up about a, a couple of minutes here. So uh, the Sinai kind of a covenant, we've got about two minutes. What's it consist of? Okay, that's a good question. Because a lot of people think that the Mount Sinai covenant consisted of the law that God gave to the children of Israel, saying these are the Ten Commandments, and there's 603 more after that, by the way. And you have to keep these, and if you keep all these commandments perfectly, then you'll go to heaven. And so that people were then saved under the Sinai covenant by keeping the law. That's another misunderstanding. That was never the arrangement. That was never the situation. Uh, rather, you know, from the very beginning, from within within the Torah itself, there's the assumption that people are sinful, that people fail, that people make mistakes, and that God is gracious and compassionate and full of full of loving kindness, and that He forgives sin and bears iniquity and puts up with transgressions, and all of this is language from the law itself, from the Torah itself. So what is the Sinai Covenant? The Sinai Covenant, in a nutshell, the Sinai Covenant is that Israel agrees to be God's people, and they agree, then, to live by his rules. God, for his part, says, I will be your God. You will be my people. And that is the Mount Sinai Covenant. Yeah, amen, amen. And we'll get into, so, folks, if the Abraham's covenant wasn't done away by the Sinai covenant, um, the question we'll address when we get back, or rather I'm going to have our guest Dave, uh, Daniel uh, address it, the question that we will ask is, so did the new covenant cancel out, um, you know, the Sinai covenant? Daniel, we have about a minute before break. Could you explain to them where you can find first, first verses on and this wonderful book, What About the New Covenant? Yeah, thanks. I'd, I'd be happy to. First Fruits of Zion can be found on the internet at F-F-O-Z, that's F as in first, F as in fruits, O as in of, and Z as in Zion, First Fruits of Zion, ffoz.org. That's ffoz.org. And you can pick up a copy of What About the New Covenant in our online store at ffoz.org. Okay, well, folks, 
Now, remember, uh, I know right now we're talking live, but I'll, if you go to my website, you can probably already find a link up there to it. But if you wait till this comes up in Radio Archives, it will be on my website. And any place that you pick it up at podcast that I posted, you will see a direct link to First Bruce Zion. And we'll be back with much more in three minutes. Dan will be right back. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
Dan Catlin, and you're listening to Mission Watch Live on the American Voice Radio Network. Folks, please remember to pray tonight about a donation for our work with the homeless and poor from our mission church in Wichita, Kansas. Support us so we can care for the people that the Father sends us. Remember, folks, yeah, of course the homeless uh, are poor, but we're also talking about the poor people from around the neighborhood and around the city that come looking for food, clothing, um, hats, over-the-counter medications, all sorts of things. They come looking for it for not only for them, but for their children, because in this economy that we have, so why some people may be happy to even work two or three part-time jobs because you only get 29 hours a week now because of Obamacare. Well, they don't have enough money for everything, but they're struggling and try and make it. We have families come in and, and try to and get meals to go. We everything. So we're helping a broad spectrum of people. We don't judge those that come. When they walk in the door, they don't have to sign in on a piece of paper or anything. They just come in and ask for help. Or if they've been there before, they look around, they know that they can sit down, they'll get served a sandwich for a certain part of the day. They know at 430, they'll get a regular meal, got a clothes closet, they can walk in, get all the clothes that they want. Nobody tells them, don't take this, don't take that. They take what's in there. Um, there's a telephone form to use. The list of things that we do just goes on and on and on and on. And that all depends on donations that come from few folks. Because, you know, Messiah's Branch, um, our actual congregation is not very big. You know, while we do um, minister to the homeless and poor, and we, I can't count how many miracle prayers have went to them, the actual congregation is a really super big. So we can't support everything that we do, and we do a broad spectrum, like radio and other things. So that has always came for you. We've been doing this for 16 years, and we've been on radio for probably, well, we've been on radio almost as long. And so that all comes from your support. Somebody told me, uh, sent me a donation in the mail recently and said, well, I'm sorry for your troubles. Well, it's not that we're, we're in trouble, you know. We expect persecution. We expect sometimes donations to be low. I don't really call it troubles. It's blessings because, you know, I know that I'm doing the right thing. And, and, you know, we help. You know, we spend down to the last dollar in our pocket to help people because it's the Father's money. It's not our money. It's their money. And so we believe by faith that, um, you know, if we spend this or do this, then, you know, we can still open the mission church the next day or the next week, whatever, and we can still feed. And he has never failed us in 16 years. So, you know, um, persecution, well, that's what we get, but that's a blessing, you know, because then we know that we're on the right path. And we're not with the world. We get no help from any organized churches or government agencies. It's only folks like you that supported us for now in our 16th year that make the mission church work. So why do so many people come for us for help? Well, love is the first answer. They're treated as family. Second, beyond that, we give them relationships. We have no set guidelines like programs. The only programs I have is radio programs. People just walk in the door and ask for what they need. That's the rule. Then if we don't 
have the way to fill the need, we pray it in. This is why the agencies even tell their employees about the Father's Little Mission Church. You see, when guidelines stop them from helping, they send people to us. People who have millions of dollars in their budget send people to a place that really has no budget. We are the last hope for so many, and we are responsible to care one for another, as we are brothers' keepers. All donations, no matter what size, helps. And the Father notices all donations that come from where? Your heart. If you don't wish, and also if you don't wish to help with the poor, please consider a donation for radio airtime, as it's not free. And donations do keep us on the air. You can donate online or by mailing a check or money order, and you can find all that information at our hub, which is prophecyhour.com. That's prophecyhour.com. Or simply call me at six two zero eight seven eight four six eight two if you need to. And remember, uh, we love you, folks. That's what, and we are here for you. Anyway, we're now back with Daniel Thomas Lancaster from First Fruits of Zion. Are you there with me, Daniel? Yep, I'm here. Thanks. Okay, well, I'm really glad to have you back on. I've really been enjoying this conversation. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the most enjoyable that, that I've had in a while. Uh, we were talking about the different covenants, and we really got to the point where we were talking about the Sinai covenant, and I made the statement that, well, if the if the Sinai covenant didn't cancel out Abraham's covenant, well, the new the next covenant that everybody talks about is the new covenant. Does it cancel out the Sinai covenant or the people? Okay, that's a great question. So. <laughs> I think that's a pretty big question. We get, maybe we have to back up a little bit and just just start okay. with uh, this question of where is the new covenant in your Bible? Because now the thing is that most people think they know that the new covenant is the new covenant in the New Testament. You know, it's the New Testament. It's the the uh, Greek scriptures and the old covenant. Then is the Old Testament, but that's really not correct at all. Instead. The New Covenant is actually found in the Old Testament. The scriptures that we call the New Testament or New Covenant scriptures, they teach us about how God brings the New Covenant into being through sending His Son and the story of the Gospel and the call of the Good News, repent, the Kingdom of Heaven is at hand, story of the Apostles, but the new covenant that Yeshua is talking about, and the apostles are talking about, is actually found throughout the Old Testament. It's all the prophecies of the redemption in the Old Testament. But specifically, you can find that language uh, most clearly stated in Jeremiah chapter 31, where it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand out of the land of Egypt, the covenant which they broke, but I was a husband to them. But this is the covenant which I will make. I will put my Torah, my law, within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they will not teach again each man his neighbor, each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all know me from the least to the greatest, and I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. That is essentially that, you know, Jeremiah 31, that's essentially the broad strokes of what 
we're calling the New Covenant. And as you can see, um, the New Covenant, what we read there, even has a place for the Old Covenant in it. <laughs> or the, actually I should say, for the Torah in it, because it says, in the New Covenant, God is going to write His law, His Torah, onto the heart of His people. So it's not as if this New Covenant cancels the Old Covenant. It just changes our relationship with it so that the Old, the Torah itself, the Sinai Covenant, uh, the law that was given at Sinai, is now written onto the hearts of His people, an act of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me, I got a couple of things. Well, now you said it's for Israel and Judah. Um, so that would be great news for the Gentiles, right? Because the Gentiles now believe that they're spiritually Israel. So great. It doesn't work that way, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Explain what I was saying, thinking. All right. That's a very profound observation. Most people don't notice that. You can just slip that by most people. Uh, yeah, it says, um, the, the, the actual language says, this is the covenant, the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It doesn't say anything about making a new covenant with uh, the nations, with the Gentiles. And so this is sort of a surprise for people when they find out that the new covenant, this whole new covenant that we're talking about all, the, all through the New Testament that we're excited about, this is a covenant not with the Gentiles, not with the Gentile Christians. It doesn't say, I'll make a new covenant with the Christians. It doesn't say, I'll make a new covenant with the church. It doesn't say, I'll make a new covenant with the Gentiles. It says, I'll make a new covenant with Israel and Judah, the Jewish people. And so, where does that leave the Gentiles? How does a Gentile, how, someone like myself, who's not Jewish, do, do I have any even you know, share in this? these wonderful promises of the New Covenant. God's going to write His Torah on, on our hearts. He's going to forgive our sins. You know, these, these sorts of things. Do I have any access to this? And this is why Paul is so excited about the idea of the inclusion of the Gentiles in Messiah. That through Messiah, the Gentiles are brought near to Israel, that they are not made Jewish. I, we don't become Jewish when we become disciples of Yeshua, but we are grafted in, he says, to the olive tree of Israel, he says in Romans 11, he says in the book of Ephesians, he says we become as if we are one new man with the people of Israel, he says that uh, the dividing wall of hostility is removed, he says that we are, we who were strangers to the covenants of promise are brought near, and we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are now part of the commonwealth of Israel, the greater, the greater kingdom of Messiah, the kingdom of Israel. And so through that agency, through the agency of King Messiah, we are brought near to the nation, the national promises of the new covenant that God uh, bestowed upon Israel and Judah. And that's a, that's a total reversal of of our <laughs> usual thinking. So it's not about replacement theology. It's not as if, you know, as Christians, we're replacing Israel, but rather it's as Christians, we have the uh, privilege to draw near to Israel and to participate with the Jewish people in this great redemption that God is bringing through the new covenant. 
Yeah, amen. Well, you know, um, and that's literally what the Word says without any twist. And it, that's what I saw when I read the Bible in church. But let's go with a couple other things. So, okay, now we're talking about, but now here's another uh, Gentile thing or Christian thing or whatever you want to call it. They they want to say that, okay, now um, Yeshua, which was the ambassador um, of the New Covenant, New Covenant's here. So, well, that cancels out that the Sinai Covenant. And so, therefore, you know, but it doesn't, does it? Right. That's what, I, that's what we're saying. It doesn't cancel the Sinai Covenant, uh, just like the Sinai Covenant didn't cancel the Abrahamic Covenant. And just like it says in Galatians that a later covenant cannot set aside, it cannot it cannot abrogate a previous covenant. So, too, the new covenant doesn't at all cancel anything that happened in the uh, Sinai covenant, but rather it opens up uh, new vistas, new uh, a, a whole new world through the redemption. You see, the thing that people oftentimes don't understand about the new covenant, uh, well, there's several things, and we're trying to hit on them, but one of, one of them is that, and this is a little shocking, I mean, this might sound a little shocking when I say this, but we're not really in the new covenant era yet. Okay, so what is that supposed to mean? We're not in the new covenant era yet. Well, if we just go back to these promises that we're reading here, when it says, uh, what are some of the things that are going to characterize the new covenant? Well, for one thing, God's going to write his Torah on the hearts of his people. Has that happened yet? That hasn't really I mean, maybe it's begun, maybe it's beginning, maybe that's the work of the Holy Spirit within us, but I can tell you that I've still got a sinful and wicked heart. And, and it says that regarding the new covenant, that under the new covenant, no man is going to have to say to his neighbor, know ye the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. So when the new covenant is in full swing, when we're in the new covenant era, so to speak, you know, Evangelists are going to evangelists and missionaries are going to be out of work. They're going to have to find <laughs> some new line of work because everybody's going to know the Lord. There's going to be this universal revelation of God and of godliness and 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 the forgiveness of sins and it's, you know. So what we are experiencing through Yeshua is a foretaste of the new covenant. In fact, we are like um, because we've entered the kingdom because we have found the king, we are enjoying a preview, as it were, of the new covenant. We have laid hold of the future in King Messiah and trusting him in faith for the rest that's going to be delivered at the time of the redemption, the time of of the second coming. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as a sign, a token of the new covenant, a down payment even is the way, that's the language Paul uses regarding the Holy Spirit. He says it's a down payment on the good things that are yet to come. And he's referring to these promises of the new covenant that right. we yet to see. And that, that'll be the kingdom. We're yeah. Towards the kingdom. Amen. Uh, amen. Um, let's go with this. I, I really like how in your book you, you explain. Uh, I've never seen anybody explain it quite quite like that, but I could, I could even picture it. I could picture um, you know the the word being actually with a hand being placed in my body and changing me. So what I'm I guess what I'm trying to say. So you know this Torah that he puts in in our heart 
changes us. He doesn't change the old Torah to fit us, does he? I mean, was it done away with? Yeah, that's so good point. That, that's a that's a very good point. That you know, we might think that because the old covenant was flawed, it even says so right here. My covenant that they broke, right? So you might think that well, with the new covenant. What God did is he got rid of all those rules because Israel kept breaking them. People are sinful. So he said, you know what, forget about that. I'm just going to forgive all the sins, and you don't have to have any rules and laws. You don't have to have this law anymore. But, you know, God doesn't change. There we'd be back to our capricious God who said one thing and then changed his mind later. God doesn't change, but human beings do change. So instead of changing his law and saying, well, I guess now you don't have to keep my law, instead... What God says he's going to do is he's going to change us. He's going to fix our sinful heart. He's going to remove that evil inclination that causes us to go astray all the time by writing his Torah on our hearts instead of on tablets of stone this time. He's going to write them on tablets of flesh, on human hearts. It says in Ezekiel, I'll pour clean water on them. I'll sprinkle clean water on them. I'll give you a new heart. I'll take the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, uh, and I'll put my spirit in you to cause you to walk in my statutes and to keep my commandments. And that's a promise of the new covenant. And that's how the new covenant and the old covenant, the new covenant and the Torah will work together seamlessly because in the new covenant, we will naturally, it'll be our first inclination to obey God and to walk in obedience to him. Yeah, amen. Uh, uh, let's go with this. Um, okay, so then how 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 does the uh, uh, to a Gentile believer how does the Torah relate to them now? I mean, you know, are they required to keep it, or you know, I mean, so many have different opinions on that. Um, you know, because they say sin is also transgression of the law, but uh, there is a reason why we keep Torah, but. How do we become? How do the Gentiles become saved? I guess that's the question. Okay, well, this is a good question. There's some. There, there, there are three good questions there. I think. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, I'm trying to shut up. You know, go ahead. That's all right. Uh, so, you know, the, you might think if you hear this, you hear this teaching, you might think that I'm suggesting. You know, I'm trying to put this guy's trying to put everybody under the law. He's a legalist, right? He's trying to get get everybody to be Jewish. But no, we learn from the apostles that. Messianic era is just around the corner. Get ready for it. 
get ready for the messianic era. Get ready for the kingdom, the, the, the era of the new covenant. Get ready for the new covenant. That's what the gospel is saying. Repent. Trust in him for the forgiveness of sins, the apostles say. And, and then prepare to enter, you know, make, your, make your effort to enter into the kingdom. He says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that means seek first the messianic era. That should be our first objective in life, is to enter the kingdom. And, uh, and, and that is to enter into the new covenant. Yeah, amen. Through our faith in him but also uh, through our allegiance, our allegiance to him, which is expressed through genuine repentance. Not that we have to be sinless or perfect or anything like that. It's not what it's about. It's not about legalism. It's not about earning your salvation. It's about a relationship. That's what a covenant is. A covenant is a relationship between two parties. Yeah, amen. Um, and so we keep the Torah because we love him, right? Is that what you, how you feel? That's, that's that's what he says. He says, uh, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And his commandments aren't burdensome. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you put it so well in this book. Um, you know, we've got about uh, three minutes or about three minutes or so left and uh, touch on a couple of things. One that's probably kind of completely off subject to this 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 book Um you know, how do you feel with everything going on in the world right now? Do you feel like maybe uh, we're rushing on towards the uh, uh, Messianic Kingdom? Do you think we're any closer? What, if you want to, what's your view on that? Well, I think um, I think it's it's the duty in this day and age of every pastor and teacher of the Bible to make it known that we are living in a period of time that's called the, the uh, footsteps of Messiah, you know, the, the, last, the last generation uh, before the kingdom. And, uh, you know, all of, all of the, the prophecies, you know, that for 2,000 years have, have laid dormant. We're seeing all of these things coming to life in our day and age. It's, it's really a remarkable thing, beginning, of course, uh, with the last century and the ingathering of the Jewish people and the restoration of the state of Israel and all of the revealed miracles that have happened in in that manner, uh, but also you know with the with the two world wars. So yes, we are we're teetering towards Armageddon, you might say. But I don't. I'm not a prophet of doom. I'm a I, I'm a, I'm an optimist because that means that we're teetering towards the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is drawing closer and closer, and that's a good thing, not something yeah. to be afraid. Of. Absolutely, Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, it, it seems like a doom and gloom sometimes program, you know, because I interview a lot of people with Bible prophecy, but it's the big deal is that it's it's a birth thing that keeps worse and worse and worse till finally the baby comes, and it's a wonderful thing. Same thing, birth pains, and then Yeshua comes. I mean, what can be better than that? Um, we've got just about two minutes left, but I'd like to ask you, for people that come over to First Fruits of Zion, what other than this wonderful book, folks, it's called What About the New Covenant, what would you point a new person to come over to find out, you know, to you know, basic children, so to speak? What would you point them to? Well, uh, someone who's coming into uh, First Fruits of Zion, uh, this is a fine resource to begin with. What About the New Covenant is a, is a, a fine introductory resource. 
But I also have another book called Restoration, Returning the Torah of Moses to the Disciples of Jesus, which is, is a book that explains the Messianic Jewish idea and the restoration of these things that the Church lost so many, so many centuries ago. That, and that in these end times, we are seeing God restore these gifts uh, to his people. So I'd encourage people to check that book out as well at uh, First Fruits of Zion, ffoz.org. That's uh, F as in Frank, F-F-O-Z, or Z as the Canadians say, uh, ffoz.org. Yeah, amen. And remember, folks, uh, wherever, if you listen to this in archives, there will be a uh, um, link, direct link to it. But first fruits is I on Google it. There's no way that you can't come up with it. Well, you know what? I've really, really enjoyed having you on with me. Um, it's been a really wonderful program, and, and you talk so clear. I really believe people get something out of it, but they really need to get your book. But So thank you, my brother, for taking this time out and, and being with me and being with our listeners. So maybe we'll do it again about something else. I, I'll go read the book, Restoration. Maybe we'll talk All again. Right. All right. Okay, All right. Great. You Thanks be blessed. So Thanks for being on. Goodbye and shalom right. to you. Shalom. All right, folks. That was uh, D. Thomas Lancaster. The name of the book is What About the New Covenant? He also points to another book called Restoration that I haven't read. But I have a, a I have a, well, I'm about 90% in what he says. I've got a couple things about uh, that I have to say, too. But this book about the covenants is just wonderful. And it doesn't exclude the Gentiles. And, you know, it makes it puts everybody on an equal footing. But you really need to understand about the covenants. If you're going to understand your Bible, you need to understand the covenants. And really, it's a blessing. So, folks, uh, pray about supporting Wichita Mission Church. We do need your help. As always, we need your help. It's not a question of troubles. We accept the fact that sometimes we have more money than other times, but that's the way that it is, and that depends on you folks. If it was a good program, lots of times people would donate a lot of money. If they didn't like the program, well, then you know how that goes. But remember, this is the important thing. Always be a blessing to others, no matter what. Remember that there is only one God, and that is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His son is Yeshua HaMashiach. He gave his life for a repented sins. He rose after three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And through him, and only through him, is the way to the Father. Remember to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul. Then love your neighbor as yourself. And again, always, 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 I can't say it enough, be a blessing to others. And what better blessings could you be to them unless you... But by sharing, excuse me, sharing the kingdom with them, sharing the gospel with them. Lord our God, Father, King Universe, asking Yeshua HaMashiach's name, that the Father blesses and keeps you, and his face shines upon you, and is gracious to you, and gives you peace like no one or nothing else can. Until an hour from now, this is Pastor Dan saying goodbye and shalom. Just heard the Messiah's Branch broadcast featuring Pastor Dan. To contact Dan on the internet, go to messiahsbranch.org. To write to Dan, send a note to Messiah's Branch, 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. 
Tune in next time for Messiah's Branch. compounds of thyme contain antioxidants, an effective germicide that kills whooping cough bacteria and makes breathing easier. Just imagine what you can do with thyme herb when it comes to respiratory ailments like croup, pneumonia, asthma, and sinusitis. The extra benefit of thyme herb is that it soothes the nerves and stops spasmodic coughing, so you can get some rest. Who says you don't have time to take care of yourself? Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free for time, tincture, and tea to soothe your cough and get some rest. 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International 704-875-8010 or online at thepowerherbs.com. Financial obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3w.thepowerherbs.com. PSA count high, half of all men over 50 have an enlarged prostate. You can shrink your prostate without harmful drugs or risky surgery. The secret to healing the prostate is to cleanse the prostate and the liver. Call Apothecary Herbs to ask about the Prostate Kit for a comprehensive way to heal and soothe your prostate. Educate yourself on how easy it can be to disinfect, cleanse, and restore your prostate gland. 
Holopothecary Herbs for the Prostate Kit and successfully reduce swelling, inflammation, dissolve stones, and cleanse the blood to obtain the results you need. Money-back guarantee with every purchase. Call the experts in organ cleansing. Call Apothecary Herbs now for the Prostate Kit and empower yourself. Toll free, 866-229-3663 for international callers, 704-875-8010. That's toll free, 866-229-3663 or visit the web at thepowerherbs.com. I'm your resident herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Hope you had a great day. We're here to empower you. That's what we like to do here on Herb Talk Live. Thanks for joining us on the American Voice Radio Network. Magical engineer Frank and I have a great show. We're going to be talking about some summertime toxins that you're going to want to avoid, and we're going to show you how. Also, we may touch base on that ancient manuscript. We didn't finish it all the other day. And uh, we have some other things like um, antioxidants, fleas, cancer topics we can dump into as time allows, and, of course, a quack report. But before we get to all that great stuff, Big Salute and Semper Fi are righteous men and women in uniform, lifting them all up in prayer, all of America up in prayer. I'm praying for righteous leadership. I'm praying for the Lord's hand to be on America. You know, this is prayer of Jabez in the Old Testament that says, Lord, may you be with me and broaden my way. And may your hand be with me and keep evil from me, that it not grieve me. I'm praying God's hand be with America. And we clean up this mess that we have. Because we do. We have a big problem. And to uh, take care of it in a spiritual way, only that God can do. And, uh, you know, so we all can say with confidence, God bless America. And seek the Lord's face and mind the time, because it's your really grow short, and you'll never, ever regret spending time in prayer with God. Without further ado, let's do the crack report. Thanks, Frank. Okay, first up in the crack report. Um, <laughs> a lot of manufacturers are finding out people don't want GMOs, and guess what? They're voting with their wallets, right? Food manufacturers are turning to cleaner non-GMO benefits of sunflower oil uh, because it's void of trans fats and other plus for good health. But they're learning that, you know, people are recognizing that there's a lot of research that say GMOs um, kind of wreck your health, basically. Uh, studies have proven they damage the blood, destroy the reproductive organs, and create cellular damage. So people are just reading labels. 
Now, Rick Robbins, he's the general manager of Colorado Mill Sunflower Oil. He agrees that there's a big trend. There's a shift towards this boom in uh, replacing a lot of those um, GMO oils with healthy sunflower. So Frito-Lay and Kettle Chips, they're all using sunflower oil in their products. He says a lot of distributors for restaurants and bakeries and snack food manufacturers are going to the healthier oils, the non-GMO oils. He says that uh, there's this shift away from the GMO soybean and canola oils. Um, They've been the prominent oils in a lot of snacks and foods, but there's been this major drop in demand because uh, consumers, uh, they're being vocal about what they want. Well, yeah, they're they're like not, not buying it, right? Literally, they're not buying it. Okay, moving along in the quack report. Uh, here's a study. Where's this survey? It was a new survey. Um, goodness, it was uh, funded by a laundry detergent company. They say that children are spending less time outdoors playing compared to prisoners in high-security prisons. Hmm. In 2014, there was this article that was published in the Nature Play SA. Uh, a nonprofit that's devoted to, you know, outside playtime. Uh, they reported 87% of Australian children spend more time playing indoors than outdoors. They question over 12,000 parents of children between the ages of 5 to 12, uh, 10 different countries. This went through a survey. Although parents recognize there's a great value and importance to play, there's a variety of uh, factors that um, come into the mix. They say lack of time lack of safe places to play, and there's also time spent on scheduled activities, um, so kids are spending less time outside. Uh, prisoners at high-security facilities are allowed one to two hours outside, while most children uh, come, you know, don't even come close to an hour. According to this study, almost a third of the children in the U.K. play outside for just 30 minutes or less, and uh, one in five don't go outdoors at all. Mm. All right, last but not least in the crack report. Um, new study on aging, dementia, Alzheimer's. Uh, they say by some estimates, global incidence of dementia is going to triple in the next 35 years. So this new study that was published in March in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease, they said that regular exercise, whether it's walking, Cycling, swimming, dancing, gardening reduces your risk of Alzheimer's. Yeah, research at the University of California, Los Angeles, and other institutions analyzed this data that was uh, processed by the Cardiovascular Health Study. Uh, They had all this data from uh, starting in 1989, and they evaluated about 6,000 older men and women Um, These women, these men completed medical and cognitive tests. They filled out questionnaires uh, about their lives and their physical activity. They got MRIs, uh, scans of their brains. So looking at 10 years of data from these participants that were 65 years of age and older, the scans showed that the top uh, part uh, uh, I guess, uh, cumulative part of the uh, the group, the more active they were, uh, the more gray matter they had in their brain. So they say the more gray matter you have, it, it you have more neurons, it equals 
greater brain health. So those who were more physically active increased their uh, brain matter over a five-year period from when they started, uh, noticeable increases in the volume of the parts of their brains where they didn't have it before. So people have more gray matter, correlates with being more physically active, um, and you reduce your risk of having dementia, memory decline, Alzheimer's by 50%, according to the study. So get out there, walk, jog, cycle, garden, ballroom dancing, whatever burns those calories in recreational pursuits is going to protect your noodle. Go for it. And that wraps the crack report. Thank you, Frank. Okay, we're going to talk about some summertime toxins. It's just around the corner. I don't know where you are, but here in North Carolina today, it was kind of breezy, sunny, but a little on the chilly side. Um, Reminded me of March weather, really. Uh, But, you know, summertime is coming up fast, and it's a time for, you know, shedding off those winter blues, you know. Also shedding those extra pounds we picked up around the holidays and all, you know, getting outdoors more because we were indoors most of the time in the winter because of the harsh weather. So with the warmer weather, we expose more skin and we become more vulnerable to pests, poisonous plants, and sunburn. And pets also have, you know, health challenges depending on what care products their owners are using on them as well. So we're going to take a look how we can limit our risk of exposure and resolve some issues without a lot of toxic products. First, let's talk about the sunscreen. Of course, that vitamin D we get from the sun is awesome. But sunscreen is a big seller for sun protection, and sunshine really provides us that natural vitamin D that we can't do without. Uh, But also, we're exposed to those light waves that's not so healthy for our skin. So what do we do? We slather on the sunscreen to protect our body, our body's largest organ, the skin. However, research is pointing to chemicals in the sunscreen products that, you know, show up in your urine, influence your estrogen hormones, and increase your risk of cancer. So according to Dr. Joseph Mercola and the Echo Wellness Conference, if you are going to use sunscreen protection, they say avoid expired products and avoid the spray-on sunscreen, which is really loaded with more toxic chemicals. So products, they say, with aloe vera in them and other herb sunscreens offer protection if you apply them often and have lower toxicity. So if you suffer, um, let's say, a skin injury, let's say you get sunburn, uh, gels with the lidocaine help reduce that burn pain, make you feel more comfortable. So herbs for pain also to re- and also to rebuild the skin cells to speed that regeneration of the skin uh, and also reduce inflammation. I like to use the willow bark and the meadow sweet and then the uh, plant-based calcium herbs to regenerate that skin real quickly. So things like lobelia, oatstra, comfrey, and horsetail are excellent. So I use those internally um, in an extract form. So if you're looking for the pain and anti-inflammatory and the calcium plant-based uh, uh, extracts for cell regeneration of the skin, check out the powerherbs.com. The folks at Apothecary Herbs have that. Also, the bugs are a problem, and a lot of people look for those bug repellents, 
loaded with chemicals. So there are many organic bug repellents people actually can use, including those that contain eucalyptus, cedarwood, citronella, pennyroyal, rue, and pets can also benefit from these herbs to keep the fleas and ticks away. So these herbs make excellent repellents. They won't poison your pet or irritate their skin when you apply them correctly. So you want to check that out. Apothecary Herbs has the natural pet collars and shampoo for your pets with all those ingredients, and they're just awesome to have. Now the sundry items, okay? Uh, hot weather, guess that. That means that we sweat more. So sweating is the body's natural way of removing toxins and cooling the body. So when we use antiperspirants, we can store more toxins in the body and inflame our glands. So instead, you might want to use some natural crystal salts for a natural deodorant protecting your underarm glands from toxic chemicals, you know, from all that stuff that's in the over-the-counter products. So you want to check out the Crystalux push-up sticks and sprays at Apothecary Herbs. These items offer what is essentially a cleanse for your underarm area. Also, be sure the sundry items that you use have no talc powder ingredients as research from Brigham and the Women's Hospital in the U.S., along with the U.S. National Institutes of Health and Medical Research Program, have revealed that talc can increase your risk to getting cancer. The results were published in the 2015 Journal of Epidemiology. Johnson & Johnson just lost a recent lawsuit of $72 million, which they'll probably appeal, uh, with regard to a customer who died of ovarian cancer after a long-term use of their talc product. Manufacturers using talc will most likely need to remove the ingredient from their products or include a warning on their labels informing consumers that due to epidemiological studies noted in the Scientist publication and the Journal of Epidemiology, Talc can increase the risk of some cancers by 30 to 40%. And some studies on talc show that it creates psychotoxicity, which is toxins to the cells similar to venom. And it also an apoptosis, which is a cell destruction, which fragments the cell DNA. Now, in 2010, the World Health Organization and the Internal International Agency for Research on Cancer stated that the use of talc-based body powder is carcinogenic to humans. So why is talc so toxic? You know, baby powder, everybody, you know, puts that on their kid's bottom, um, or you'll put it on your feet so you can slide your sandals on. I mean, what the heck? What happened to talc? Well, according to the American Cancer Society, most talc contains asbestos. Asbestos was removed from home building products in the 1970s, but seems to have remained in body powder. What's up with that? All right, let's look at plant poison. We got summertime plants that can really cause us to have problems. According to the American Skin Association, 85% of Americans are allergic to poisonous ivy, sumac, and oak. And out of that percentage, about 15% are extremely allergic. So this summer, they expect 50 million Americans to be affected by these poisonous plants. So the poison ivy, sumac, and oak, these plants grow anywhere in the United States, from Alaska to Hawaii, from Nevada to Vermont. 
So it is such a prevalent species of plants that we should expect it to be growing nearby. Okay, just plant on it. Now, keep in mind, not all will have, not all these poisonous plants will have the three leaves that we've been instructed to look for. For um, appearances can differ from these uh, plants. They can have three leaves, five, seven, or even nine leaves, depending on their location. And not all of them grow like vines. Some will grow more like a shrub. So what makes the plants avoidable are the oils in them called urucil. And this is a sticky, colorless, odorless substance that it spreads pretty easily. And if you come in contact with it, you have a window of about 15 minutes to strip down and wash everything that you're wearing, down to your shoes and shoelaces, has to be washed to avoid the acute dermatitis. We also have to be careful that our pets don't come in contact with these plants and then transport the sap onto furniture and other objects, contaminating them with the oils. Now, normally, an outbreak of acute dermatitis from these plants can last two weeks without any complications. And most people will use the topical protocol of, you know, cool showers, bathing with oatmeal soap and bacon soda, maybe apply some chamomile lotion and cortisone medications for relief from the blisters and itching. But another option used by the Native American Indians is to use herbs to draw out and neutralize the oils, keep it from spreading and to get rid of the itching. So the herbs will also dry up the rash, so it's not oozing. Uh, skin poultice is what I call it, and you'll find that at Apothecary Herbs as well. So this summertime, you can avoid a lot of discomfort by applying some common sense and having a few organic items on hand. Now, if uh, you get a, an attack of the sunburn, you might want to check out the pain and anti-inflammatory formulas with the willow bark and meadowsweet in them, as well as their calcium plant-based formula to help rebuild that skin fast. And both of them you'll find at thepowerherbs.com. Now, their honey oatmeal soap is also great to have. It'll help lock in moisture in the skin without stripping away the natural oils. It's also a great soap to have if you get the poison ivy oak or sumac. So you'll find that at thepowerherbs.com. Also, protect your pets this summer from the parasites with the natural eucalyptus and tick collars and shampoo. Very gentle, non-toxic, and effective. Also, avoid that toxic chemicals that you find in talc uh, and heavy metals that you find in antiperspirants and deodorants. Uh, use their natural mineral salt products called Crystalux. They're available in a solid push-up stick and spray. And by the way, the solid push-up sticks last one to two years. You'll save a ton of money on sundry items. And don't forget to pick up a packet of that skin poultice for acute dermatitis from poisonous plants. And the skin poultice is really effective at resolving poisonous bites, such as bee stings, spider bites, even those mystery bug bites. And if you live in areas where there are snakes, you'll want to have their handy snake bite kit, which they have one for pets too, because, you know, dogs, they like to kind of mess up their face or whatever with a snake and biting them. So one snake bite, by the way, can produce a six-figure hospital bill. Hope you know. So you might want to have a kit on hand. So call Apothecary Herbs and get ready for summer. Their number is toll-free at 866-229-3663, international, 704-885-0277. Of course, the website is thepowerherbs.com because if you 
serious about herbs, you need apothecary herbs. And lucky for you, they are in the middle of their 15% off uh, summer, uh, spring, allergy, whatever special. So they have some allergy formulas, too, if you don't like the pollen. You like the honeybees make, but not the pollen, right? So uh, 15% off orders of $50 or more. The code is AL for allergies, so AL16. Uh, Just plug that into your shopping cart. The code is on the homepage if you forget. Or just use it over the phone. And and it's not just allergy formulas you can save 15% on. It's everything. So um, just go ahead and stock up and save and get ready for summer. Toll-free number, again, is 866-229-3663. And thepowerherbs.com is where you want to shop online. If you're on the website, do put in your shopping cart one of those free newsletters that they have under the Newsletters tab. And uh, more empowering information will go out to your email each and every week, thepowerherbs.com. That's what it's about, putting the power back in your hands, see? It's it's just incredible how people feel when they can resolve such big problems every day, everyday health problems. And uh, and they feel just incredible that they could do that. Oh, yeah, herbs, the world's best-kept secret. All right. Um, we got a few minutes before a break, and you know, kind of last time we touched on some of the ancient manuscript, University of Manchester in England. Uh, they found this 1,000-year-old book um, they thought it was a Cimmerian hemel, and uh, what it was was uh, sheepskin that was animal hide that was used over again, and what it was was a, a Roman physician by the name of Galen had a recipe book on how to use and mix herbs for different things. So... Um, it was kind of like, um, well, a huge fine for uh, natural health, uh, you know, that was written in 200 A.D. <laughs> so you could kind of get a glimpse of what they did in a long time of Jesus when it come to things uh, like that. Now, researchers using digitalized technology uh, helped them uncover these writings of Galen. And on the Ancient Animal Skin page, they uh, the copy of the book was titled, um, mixtures um, and powers of simple drugs. <laughs> so experts are hoping that this writing will be fully translated and give them more insights into the medical science from the ancient world of Greece, Rome, and the Middle East. So a lot of this research is ongoing regarding this book. And um, the ancient form of recycling books was, you know, to write over things. Um, very common to write over old manuscripts because, you know, it was so expensive to get writing instruments and materials. In Galen's case, his medicinal text was covered with this um, um, hemnal, uh, uh, you know, a siren hemnal uh, around 1000 A.D. So about 800 years later, they just took his writings and said, hey, we don't need this, and we'll just put a hemnal on top. So, um, you know, they pretty much threw away Galen's uh, work when they did that. Unfortunately, with technology now, we can see his writing come up from beneath the page and see what he was talking about. Uh, The university is using digital photography in different light forms on a computer with different algorithms to help lift the words that Galen used on the parchment and bring his work back to life. Um, So the work called Simple Drugs may be a summation of uh, thousands of years of ancient medicines. Um, it describes plants. It describes roots. 
Uh, it has a lot of detail listings of plant parts to use. Um, I mean, there was stuff in there, according to the research, uh, how to cure sore throat, uh, gas or flatulence, infertility in men. I mean, I guess they had ED back then as well, see. And this is just an incredible find, simple drugs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been saying it. I've been saying it for years. God didn't expect us to need a pharmaceutical industry to be, you know, healthy. Simple herbs can help us out. Um, now, on one text, one page, they discovered one, uh, a set of um, this is this one manuscript they discovered on this page is just one set of eleven books in a series that Galen wrote. So this is just like the tip of the iceberg. There's there's eleven other books. It's like a set of 12 Galen wrote. But where they are, who could say? Uh, so they, 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 they see this writing that Galen had um, created this bridge of medicinal knowledge um, that came from ancient Rome and ancient Greece and the Islamic world. So it was like a, an accumulation of blended knowledge over uh, hundreds, if not thousands of years. So they're restoring his writing called Simple Drugs. It's going to take several years. It's going to cost $1.5 million. Uh, and there's grant money coming from the UK uh, Art and Humanitarian Research Council. And there's a team that um, are now trying to track down some of the other manuscripts. They think they may be on mission manuscripts uh, in several countries and also in museums and maybe even in private collections. So they're trying to track down the other volumes and goodness, if they ever get them, can you imagine the wealth of knowledge that would be in there? So, um, and you know, this, this translation could have gone through a lot of different translation and a lot of changes. So how accurate is going to be anybody's guess? Because ancient scribes tend to remove parts they didn't think is important add information that they think is new knowledge, so it may not all be the work of Galen there. So they hope to compare the original um, recycled book to the British, a British copy that they found, and see what the differences are and go from there. So uh, 2,000 years ago, scientific medicine. Well, it had to start somewhere, right? It had to start somewhere. And it starts with a philosophy. It starts with a hypothesis. That's where it starts. A um, thousand years ago from now, medical procedures could be very different than what we have today. Very different. Although we do have some surgical procedures on reconstructing certain body parts that the physicians for the Roman gladiators did, and they're still being per performed today. So go figure, right? So full circle. That's where we're coming. Full circle. Herbs are here for the service of man. God got that right. Of course he did. Uh, the master creator and chemist. He knows more than anybody will know. i got to take a break. More on the other side.
pumping life into the original medicine. Herbalist Wendy Wilson will be right back. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. trust anyone wearing a mask. Robbers, cattle rustlers, or doctors. I listen to Herb Talk Live. Everyone is afraid of pain. No one wants pain to rule over their life. And you don't want the negative side effects of aspirin, ibuprofen, or prescription drugs. They can lower immunity and cause dependency. Is there a safe alternative? I'm herbalist Wendy Wilson, and I prefer willow bark and meadowsweet herbs to control pain, fever, aches, and inflammation. God's herbs are good, and you won't be disappointed. Call Apothecary Herbs for pain or extra strength pain relief formula, toll-free, 866 229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International, 704-875-8010 or online, thepowerherbs.com. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. make the aspirin mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom
All right, something a little bouncy there. Get the you know blood circulating. That's cool. All right, we we're gonna jump on this uh, stomach cancer topic here, and um, you don't hear much about stomach cancer really or bladder cancer, right? I mean, if you're having an incontinence issue and nothing's working and then you take dandelion root and you feel much better, guess what? I suspect that's a bladder cancer issue if dandelion's helping you out. But let's talk about stomach cancer. Uh, It's not really in the news that often, uh, but those who do get diagnosed with it have a real challenge on their hands. Uh, There are some famous people who've died from the disease, like John Wayne in 1979, Napoleon Bonaparte, who said he also died from um, stomach cancer in 1821. However, new evidence may be showing that his private wine collection was poisoned with arsenic, suggesting he may have been poisoned instead. Other famous people who have died are the poet James Baldwin in 1987, the lawyer Patrick Henry in 1799, Mr. Fred Rogers in 2003, and film producer John Ford, uh, as well as clothes designer Liz Claiborne in 2007. Now, if you're a Trekkie, DeFrost Kelly from Star Trek, he died of stomach cancer in 1999, and also TV director Sidney Pollack in 2008 had the same problem. So we have like 76,000 Americans living with this stomach cancer diagnosis right now. And if they follow their doctor's advice, less than 30% of them will survive within five years. So let's look at the statistics and the risk. According to the American Cancer Society, about 24,590 men and women are going to get the diagnosis of a stomach cancer problem this year. More men than women get the disease, and usually it occurs later in life, like after 65, with the average age being about 69. So the average age at death from stomach cancer is 72. The risk that we take getting stomach cancer is 1 in 111. So this particular disease is higher in certain ethnic groups, such as Hispanics, Blacks, and Asians. And patients who have a precursor condition of stomach ulcers and have them treated with surgery, like stomach resection, they increase their risk of of getting stomach cancer. So for some reason, people with blood types A are at a greater risk of getting this disease. And if the family tree has cancer in it, or if there are conditions such as stomach polyps, well, the risk increases. And apparently, where you live may be a factor. According to the American Cancer Society, your risk can increase depending on where you live. If you live in a less developed country, we're told the risk is higher. Now, statistically, the risk of getting stomach cancer increases in these regions, Japan, China, South or Eastern Europe, and South and Central America. So we find less stomach cancer in Northern and Western Africa, South Central Asia, and North America. And where you work? Well, the American Cancer Society also has made a connection between an increased incidence in stomach cancer and the type of occupation the patients have. For instance, the risk is higher of getting stomach cancer if you work in the following industries, coal, Metal and rubber, probably a lot of toxins, probably the reason. So let's say, what happens if you're infected 
with cancer? Well, you're told that stomach cancer stems from a bacterial infection. Uh, they call it Helobacter pylori H or pylon. People who eat a diet that's rich in smoked meats, salty fish, and pickled vegetables are going to create an environment where this bacteria can really thrive. Tobacco use can also increase the risk as well as being overweight. So having stomach cancer can actually lead to a secondary conditions like anemia. Changes in the stomach lining can also um, uh, occur, and it's called um, menetier disease. So how does it get started? Well, the stomach wall is comprised of three layers of tissue. There's the mucosal innermost layer, the um, mucosal laceris middle layer, and the sarcosal outer layer. And stomach cancer attacks the innermost mucosal layer, and it likes to spread to the other layers. So modern medicine thinks it knows uh, what would it, it would mean for these cells of the stomach lining to develop these cancer cells. So in some cases, they say their patients experience conditions like um, gastritis, and the glands of the stomach are reduced or they become eliminated, and this could be you know, one of the instigating factors to developing the disease. Inflammation, they know, plays a role, and it makes the immune system more reactive, and it could lead, they say, to an autoimmune situation complication. And some research is su suggesting that some subtypes of the bacteria can chemically react to certain foods, causing a mutation in the DNA of the stomach cells. So a lot of research on this, and they've noticed They've noticed that some foods, like fruits and vegetables, that have lots of antioxidants are natural preventatives for stomach cancer. It blocks the cell mutation. So that just tells me people that are prone to stomach cancer probably meat and potatoes, don't eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. So diet's really the key if you want to avoid this. And you probably notice that stomach cancer starts in those inner layers. This suggests that it's a a topical contact infection, but it could possibly be system-wide infection. So there is a lack of proper nutrition. You get a malnourished system. It breaks down. The foods can block or reverse this condition, and it should be the, a diet that's daily, and it's rich in servings of fruits and vegetables. So protecting that pH is also going to be a plus in the digestive system. goes a long way at protecting your stomach lining, the cells, and the integrity of your DNA. And your fruits and vegetables help you balance that pH. Um, a lot of people think, well, fruits are too acidic, but they do have an alkalizing effect when they're being digested. So your fruits and vegetables uh, will do that if you get 80% of the diet that's going to be saturated with these organic fruits and vegetables. So the raw foods are required. Uh, cooking reduces and changes the organic matter to your organic uh, foods, nuts, seeds, whole grains, and legumes will also help protect that pH and provide nutrients, antioxidants, and some natural vitamin E. So, you know, load up that plate with some raw fruits and vegetables. So here's the veggie list. If I had stomach cancer, this is what I'd be doing. Asparagus, sprouts, beets, bell peppers, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, carrots, celery, collard greens, cucumbers, eggplant, kale, kelp, lots of seaweed, mustard greens, onions, parsley, radishes, 
squash, tomatoes, spinach, and yams. And according to cancer research, all these foods help detoxify um, because it has, they have indenols, sulforaphane, and isocyanate compounds to reverse the cancer. Hmm. Here's the fruit list. All your berries, apples, apricots, avocados, bananas, currants, dates, figs, grapefruit, grapes, kiwi, lemon, lime, mangoes, melons, olives, oranges, peaches, pears, pineapple, and raisins. So if uh, if I had to, you know, keep going, I'd add my herb list, see? And herbs are great. You want to include ginger, horseradish, fennel, gentian root, dandelion root, alfalfa, spirulina, rosemary, green tea, garlic, and cayenne with the capsicum. All these nutrients in these herbs help balance your pH, neutralize your carcinogens, and also neutralize any tumor growth while protecting your cell DNA from further damage, keeps it from spreading. So willow bark and meadowsweet also will help reduce inflammation and make you more comfortable, takes the edge off pain. Uh, So that's an awesome thing to have. Uh, God's herbs are good. They're here for the service of man. Um, This is what he gave you, um, power. There's power in in your green leafy fruits and vegetables and also your herbs. So um, I want to take I want to take a, a, a moment to have I have have a spotlight I want to shine on a couple of things. So if I took a moment to talk about some major herbs, I think I want to take and talk about some uh, herbs to help digestive issues. A lot of research is suggesting that stomach cancer has spiked around the 1970s, and prior to the 70s, people would have a drink with uh, it was called a vermouth. Remember this? And they would have this drink of vermouth 30 minutes before they ate the evening meal. So the vermouth helped to prepare the stomach with digestive enzymes to improve digestion and prevent overeating. And you were able to extract more nutrition out of your food. So vermouth is made from gentian root. And it's been uh, a superb digestive aid for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So gentian root has these bitter alkaloids, which strengthen the digestive system. The root itself is able to store vast amounts of oxygen, which influences the bitterness of the root, and it gives the herb this powerful action. So for hundreds of years, gentian root has been known as a revitalizing herb, its ability to strengthen and revitalize, especially the stomach and digestive system. Uh, Patients that were weak and exhausted from a long Illness uh, would find uh, this to be very helpful along with the ginsengs, you know, giving them stamina and strength. So research is saying gentian root has also has tone. It also tones the liver, which is a plus. And so just imagine what you can do when you add dandelion root to your natural cancer-fighting ability and dandelion to your gentian root to reverse your stomach cancer issue. Yep, there you go. So weak systems, people with low stamina, uh, often uh, patients have long, have, have long illnesses. They have trouble recovering. They're weaker. Uh, when you add toxic drugs and radiation and chemotherapy to these folks, it's all too weakening for the system. 
So these therapies, although legal, popular, and expensive, are really symptom reduction treatments. They are to put your symptoms in remission, which means a lessening of symptoms doesn't mean cure of disease. And people have lost really faith in the body's ability to regenerate and heal itself when they turn to those types of things. So, however, in order to do that, what the body must, it has to have powerful nutrition, has to have enzymes, the building block of repair and regeneration. So, you know, power up those organic foods, power up those herbal uh, uh, power herbs out there, I call them, and take the power back. Yeah, you'll have building blocks of nutrition. It helps a sick body, the ability to repair and eliminate disease. Um, you know, your body knows how to heal itself. It just has to have the resources to do it. So I don't know why people just don't do that. Give it resources. Um, now, the medical definition of a cure is to restore the patient back to his or her original health state. So... If I had stomach cancer, I would use gentine root, dandelion root, willow bark, meadow sweet, ginger, horseradish, onion, garlic, fennel seed, peppermint, spirulina, and alfalfa at a minimum. And you'll find all those uh, at the PowerHerbs.com website. Definitely. All of it's there. Uh, ask for a free product catalog because it's all about empowering you. Herbal solutions for everyday problems. 866-229-3663. There you go. All right, we got a few minutes. And since we were talking about some summertime toxins and we kind of included our fairy friends with, you know, the fleas and ticks that are, you know, about to invade our furry friends, I thought we'd talk more about the fleas here for a minute. Um a lot of people in lots of different parts of the United States say, and also overseas, they're saying that fleas are a real problem. They've almost exploded. Um, lots of areas of the U.S., southeastern states, San Diego, California, parts of Connecticut, Pennsylvania, having fleas already. Um, now, Dr. Michael Dryden, he's a professor of veterinarian parasitology at Kansas State University, He's also known as Dr. Flea. That's his nickname. He, say, he says vets doubt the efficiency of flea treatments because they are not working as well as they did 15 years ago. Dr. Christine Kane, professor of dermatology at the University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinarian Medicine, said that flea outbreaks can occur on pets being treated with fleas. So we're told as more warm, rainy days set in as we move into spring and summer, we're going to see a big flea boom. Now, fleas multiply quickly, and health experts in major cities are concerned about a plague outbreak, you know, almost like bubonic. So the rock squirrel flea is the primary vector for uh, bubonic plague in Colorado. The song Ring Around the Rosie, known as a nursery rhyme, was really it has a history going back to the 1700s that may have originated during the Black Plague. Depending on the plague bacteria, the skin can have a red discoloring to it, ring around the rosy. So worldwide, there are more than 1,800 different species of fleas. And according to BugInfo.com, the largest species of flea prefers mountain beavers. 
and is a one-third inch long. Oh, can you imagine? So that's a big flea. Uh, uh, glad that parasites like mountain animals instead of domesticated ones have that, right? So if you live in Colorado, you want to be aware of the state. It houses about 80 different flea species there, and more than any other state, Colorado is the flea state for sure. Colorado also has the flea that likes to bite humans, uh, even though they are found usually on wild animals like skunks, foxes, and coyotes. So when the wild animals abandon their dens, the fleas scatter and can find domesticated pets to suit their needs. Cat fleas can multiply on both dogs and cats, and states that are most common for flea problems are Texas, California, and Florida. So what can we do about fleas? Well, we are about to find out. First, let's see the life cycle of a flea. Um, fleas are busy, but their lifestyle life cycle is brief. The average flea can live from a few weeks to several months. They emerge from a cocoon within one second and inhabit a host and are feeding on it within three seconds. Female fleas can lay 2,000 eggs during her lifespan, or 50 eggs a day, and the incubation time can be just a few days to weeks, depending on the conditions. In ideal conditions, a pair of fleas can produce 2 trillion fleas in about nine months. The flea eggs can fall off animals into carpets, bedding, cracks, and floorboards, and after it emerges, it can jump to find its host. In a larval stage, the immature flea eats the feces of the adult fleas, you know, that dried blood for about 18 days. And fleas can jump between 8 to 34 inches high, and that's about 150 times their size, or the equivalent of a human jumping about 1,000 feet. So fleas can also jump horizontally an average of 13 inches. And some people wonder how fleas can navigate through hair and fur well, they have three pairs of legs, and they have hair-like bristles on them to help them maneuver aside from using their back legs for jumping. And fleas like to feast on blood, as you know, and they can suck up to 15 times their body weight in blood every day. Females especially need a steady diet of blood to support their egg-laying capabilities. However, fleas can survive several months without a blood supply. And they are pretty hardy parasite, and they can survive even, even some freezing conditions. You know, we always thought, well, no fleas after the first frost, but sometimes not so. All right, so uh, when we see a cute little puppy or kitten in the pet store window, we rarely think about the financial commitment to owning pets. The American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals says that the low-ball price range pet owners will spend in a 15-year lifespan of their pet is $9,400 to $14,000. The larger dogs will cost much more as they are prone to ligament injuries requiring surgery. And Americans spend $48 billion on pet food every year, and that's from the Pet Products Association. So the recession has also hit the pet sector during 2009 through 2010 when pet owners cut their pet expenses by about 16%. Now, pharmaceutical pet supplies also can be very expensive, and veterinarian care rose by 4% over inflation. So the pharmaceutical flea and tick prevention products are expensive but also toxic. 
On average, depending on the size of your pet, the drugs can range from $39 to $80 on top of your vet visit. So most pet owners are searching for these products online to save money and buying them overseas at about 30% instead. According to the National Resources Defense Council, the chemicals that they use in these pet flea products are alarmingly toxic to pets and humans. The chemicals are known as tetralovorpus or propexor, and young children should not be exposed to these chemicals. However, these chemicals are often used in flea and tick pet collars, sprays, and powders to treat the flea problem. Pets can lick the chemical right off the collar. The chemicals are a nerve toxin affecting the pet and affecting the human nervous system. So if pets get too much of these chemicals, it can cause nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, wheezing, sweating, and watery eyes. And if the pet becomes poisoned by the chemicals, the symptoms to watch for are muscle twitching, drooling, seizures, and death. According to the Humane Society of the United States, hundreds of pet owners report pet deaths from flea and tick chemicals in pet products and medications every year. And studies report long-term exposure to these chemicals, even in smaller doses, can produce cancer risk to your pet. So, um, you know, be smart out there. Let's find something safer. Um, and, you know, we'll, you know, pets have skin problems due to these uh, pests, and there's lots you can do there. That's pretty much why, you know, I like the natural flea and tick collars and the shampoos and two layers of protection. And then watch the nutrition you give your pet. Um, you might want to put some Bureau's yeast in their pet uh, food. Um, I make my own pet food because the commercial stuff's so toxic. Uh, but you can put Bureau's yeast in there because fleas don't like the taste of a pet's blood with Bureau's yeast in it. So they'll leave your pet. Uh, some people use diatomaceous earth. That's fine. Some people dust their pet with garlic powder. That's fine. Um, just you know, all these natural things that you can try. Um, Nutrition is going to be a big part, too, to keeping your pet healthy, to avoid the itching and the scratching. Um, try the Power Greens for Pets. It's a powdered mix you just add to pet food, and it covers the nutritional uh, needs because so much of the pet food has no nutrition left in it. Um, personally, I make my own pet food for my dog. Um, he likes green beans. He likes apples. He likes raw meat. And dogs are supposed to eat their meat raw. In nature, that's how they would eat it. They wouldn't be cooking it on the barbie. Uh, they have the digestive enzymes to deal with the raw meat, and they won't have the parasite problem. So um, look into that, if you will, because so much of the pet food has waste grain material in it called sorghum. Even your um, Dynavite has that. So you have natural solutions for your pets as well. Keep them pet and parasite-free, pest-free, parasite-free this summer. You'll all be happier. Go to the PowerHerbs.com website and check out the Herbs for Pets section. You'll be glad you did. 866-229-3663. 866-229-3663. If you're serious about herbs, you need apothecary herbs. That's right. Get a free catalog. Sign up for the newsletters. They're free. Be empowered. Have a good weekend. The information presented is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure disease. Seek medical advice from a licensed medical physician, if you dare, before using any product or therapy. I'm your herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Until next time, be well.
Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.